Okay, hey everybody, this being the Handmaid's Tale episode, we knew that we might get into some intense and uncomfortable conversations, so we wanted to throw a trigger warning here before things got there. Just wanted to have a little bit of a warning that things could get uncomfortable or traumatic. So, here it, here it is. Welcome to another episode of the VD Clinic. It's uh, episode 17. And back from our crazy little summer break, here we are with some uh, mental strain. <laughs> the first month back after summer vacation can be harder. Oh, that's true. And boy, we did not ease right back into it. I'm uh, one of your hosts, Vanessa. And with me, as always, is your other host, Darren. Say hello, Darren. Hello. Blessed be the fruit. <laughs> Blessed be the fruit. <laughs> <laughs> May the Lord open. Oh, God. <laughs> you guys are lucky. I almost worked on the uh, the hymnal, There is a Balm in Gilead. Oh, Lord. But we'll see. <laughs> I haven't heard any feedback on my... Uh, I didn't even... You didn't hear any feedback about your, your death smoochie. Yeah, my wife death. thought it was funny. Okay. And well, you do, too. Count. So both my wives <laughs> think it's funny. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this month, <laughs> no more orgasmo. Jesus and I love you, but we still got more uh, religion than we can handle with The Handmaid's Tale. Yes, we're doing the 1985 Margaret Atwood book, and we are covering the 1990 film. So, wow. Yeah, <laughs> we're not easing back into our little break. <laughs> no, no, but you know, we're getting, we're getting, well, not getting it out of the way. I think it became, it was an inevitable that we were going to do this as soon as I joined the show. Uh, it might have been inevitable yeah. before david left but uh well I, I had been thinking about this so much that i wanted to talk about this book with you and i was even before you joined the show i was trying to push it on you over at psychosomantic cast it would have happened I was, I was subtly trying to say you know what hey wouldn't you guys maybe want to try a book for one time and wouldn't the handmaid's tale be cool <laughs> it totally would have happened i the, i was playing with the idea of just getting a bunch of you ladies and pressing record and then shutting the fuck up while you had the conversation. I felt weird not having at least one lady on the, yes. on, on the thing. Well, and we had hoped to have another uh, female lady guest, your uh, better half. Yes. But yes. She, she apologizes, but uh, she used her position as not being part of the show to say, you know what? This is a bit too much of a strain right now on my mental health yeah i get that i get that i yeah. get that <laughs> i know I and i why I, I was like no <laughs> i you, there's no need no need to apologize
apologize. I totally get it. But we will have her another another point for something that um, less, you know, less extreme. I know this is a, this is a hard one. And I really had to psych myself up to do it. Um, so that's why I'm saying I totally get where she's coming from. I, I had months to psych myself up for this um, and get into the right mental space. And that's why I said, let's not read a book for August, you know, when we were, you know, let's just do two stupid movies, you know, <laughs> kind of mindless comedy movies for, for August and give ourselves a little break before we jumped into this. Yeah, there's a lot here. So much. I know, I know. So uh, is, uh, how have you been? Before we before we get into talking to, uh, talking about something so uh, heavy duty, how have you been, Darren? You just got back from a, a trip. Ah, yes. I have, I am doing pretty well, I would say, you know, knock wood. Get, if, uh, you know, coming into the swing of things. Yeah, we, we went to DC. That's a little bit of my birthday present. My birthday is Tuesday as of recording. Yes, if... yes I was going to say happy early birthday oh. as of, I mean, recording wise. You know. oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got a trip to DC, one of my favorite places. I think I say I hate a lot of people in DC, but I love the city. <laughs> and yeah, just got back Monday where it was, it was a really fun trip. Most things aside, you know, the Trump rally and stuff was its own monster. And I don't know if any of that made it into the conversation, but I got some catharsis. And right before our plane left, I got to flip off Ajit Pai mm-hmm. in the airport. Okay. The head of the FCC. Nice. Yes. Nice. Um, how about yourself? I have just been, uh, I've, well, I've mostly been doing work, but I did have a, at least a, took a couple days last weekend where I went and visited friends in their little one in Jersey. And uh, yeah, then Aunt Vanessa gets to, you know, got to corrupt a little two-year-old. So, hey, <laughs> life was good. <laughs> <laughs> Get to feed the New yeah. Jersey Devil. Yeah, well, I mean, I started. I yeah, I start. I start talking all kinds of things. We there. We went to a little farm, and there was um an all black goat. And I'm like, hey, it's Black Philip. I'm like, Black Philip, come here. Hey, hey. And they, my friends, don't like horror movies. And they're like, what are you talking about? And their <laughs> son's like looking at me. And I said, hey, I'm telling him to say Black Philip. Black Philip. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldst thou like to live deliciously? Deliciously. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So I'm Aunt Vanessa's uh, starting him young. You gotta. Yeah. Was, I think so. this will come out in the next referral slips we do. Mm-hmm. But I've been thinking about, not that I have shown any children that movie, but thinking about children in horror. Yes. And uh, I wondered, it, 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 it's been so long since I've seen the movie. I remember liking it, but I think there might be some parts that might still be a little too freaky for a kid. Um, Possibly, possibly. Yeah. yeah but, um, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do what I can to... <laughs> You know, I, I, I'm the one who gives him the, the color books, the, you know, color like, like books so that he can learn his colors and it's English and Spanish, but it's all about Emilio Zapata. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, (laughs) yeah, you got to give it to him. That book, by the way, Danzig loves it. Okay, good. Yeah. I love that for your birthday, I give your son a present. (laughs) I don't need anything. I'm good. (laughs) But it's something for you to share with your child. Yes. And having a good book, good books and good movies and good music to listen to with your kid cannot be overvalued. Absolutely. No, that's that's how I got into it. I mean, my dad, well, both my parents 
read to me very, I mean, just very, very young and read me a wide, wide range of books. And that's why I started reading in part so early and the why that I ended up being such the library geek that I am. I really, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's good, good stuff. There's a lot of it, garbage children's shit out there. Yeah, and it was, but it was a lot of bonding too that I had with my parents was over books. I mean, yeah. some movies, but in, you know, TV shows, but my parents were much more into reading to me until I was older. Yeah, totally. I, my mom, I don't even think my mom still has, I think the only reason my mom had a TV is because she was mm-hmm. married to my dad. And, yeah. now, and now she, I don't, I don't think she has one. Uh, I don't even know if she has a computer. She's got a Facebook, but she's yeah. never on it. And she's always complaining about how e- many emails she gets. It's <laughs> like, fuck that. I just want to read and walk on the beach. <laughs> like, okay. She's, she's in North Carolina right now. She did not evacuate, but we got mm. her, uh, we got her a kayak for her birthday. So <laughs> well, it was good timing. Yeah. Th- there you go. There you go. There you go. Anyway. Speaking of mothers, The Handmaid's Tale. Speaking of mothers. Okay. So before we jump in, let's take a little break and then we will come back with the 1985 novel, The Handmaid's Tale. Be right back. Hello, kitties. My name is Brock. And my name is Pickens. And And we're we're from Cocktail Party Massacre. Our podcast is equal parts horror movies, cocktails, and trivia. Each week, guests join us to discuss their favorite horror movies. We make a cocktail inspired by the horror movie they choose. And we challenge them to three deadly rounds of trivia on the movie. If they survive, they win the coveted title of Final Girl. And if they lose, they end up with their eyes gouged out by our very own trivia slasher. The best thing is, you get to listen with little to no risk of death. Unless you think you have what it takes to come on our show and win the Final Girl Challenge. Regardless, get your cocktails in gear and join us for Cocktail Party Massacre. All right, we are back. And if you have, hopefully you have read the book or watched the movie and or checked out the show. But for those who don't know, The Handmaid's Tale, as Vanessa said, came out in 1985, written by Margaret Atwood, a Canadian author. Uh, Basically, Offred is a handmaid in the Republic of Gilead, formerly the United States of America. She may leave the home of the commander and his wife once a day to walk for food markets, whose signs are now pictures instead of words because women are no longer allowed to read. She must lie on her back once a month and pray that the commander makes her pregnant while raping her with the help of his wife. Because in an age of declining births, Offred and other handmaids are valued only if their ovaries are viable. Offred can remember the years before when she lived and made love with her husband Luke, when she played with and protected her daughter, when she had a job, money of her own, and access to knowledge. But all of that is gone now. And that is the summary of The Handmaid's Tale on goodreads.com. Okay. I added in the comment about rape. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I I gathered that much. (laughs) But it's accurate. It needs to be added. That's, oh, God. I don't even know. Like, it's, we're probably going to bounce around a bit. I I think I say that every time we talk, but. I know. The book does, too. It it does. But no, the book does bounce a little bit back and forth with a flashback. And that's just the way the actual story 
again falls. Yeah, which which makes sense, especially with the right. the added on part at the end of the book where they yes. get into that a bit, like that kind of. Yeah, we'll get to that. Right, right. And it, yeah. Well, it seems like someone is trying to recreate the story later on. Right, because if it, you caught that in the summary, women aren't allowed to read; they're not allowed to write. So it would be a little odd for. So Alfred, our main character, although that is her name at this current position, at this position, her real name, which is actually unclear a little bit in the book, but it seems like the more accepted theory, and that Margaret Atwood kind of like, yeah, if readers want to think that, then that's fine. That's what it is. <laughs> like, there's nothing that contradicts that. So right, go but for she it. doesn't come right out late and explicitly state that Alfred's real name is June. But it, but when you see the series, the TV series, which are, even though we're not really covering in this episode, we will touch on some things about it. But that is one thing. Her name is June in that. Yeah, yeah. I think the first season, we, we may not go past the first season. I feel like the first season kind of well, ends where the book and the, the Well, it's do. just, I figure if we talk about the series, it will just be about the events maybe that are in the book a little bit. and maybe, Jezebels and whatnot. Maybe how the world has expanded. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Uh, we're, yeah, we're trying to stick more just to talking about the book and the movie. The assigned materials. Yeah, well, because we also did our debt referral slip, our, fir- our first one where we talked about the series some then too. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so it does make sense that you have with the flashback and the, you know, so you have this action that kind of jumps around it, it, because it's also, you've got this character that's in such isolation from media that, and she's in a sense, in a certain amount of, yes, she's allowed to leave once a day to go to the grocery, but it's the same exact routine day after day and she's still restricted to a very distinct path that she's not supposed to stray from or very little from to so it's not like oh maybe it's not like someone who would say go to work and then after work maybe on Tuesday they might go out and have drinks with their friends oh but on Thursday they might just be you know staying in and ordering Chinese food (laughs) yeah you can't take the long way home and jumbo shrimp yeah (laughs) jumbo shrimp sorry Sorry, I gotta bring it back to that somehow um but it's just she's she's in this this same routine day after day and the only way she knows that it's a sense of passing time is by the moon because it's all based around her fertility cycle that's the only so she's not even sure exactly what day and week it is and the calendar yeah does she say something like she could make marks on the wall but she's like but why yeah (laughs) the only days she knows for sure like like you said are with her cycle the days of the ritual exactly no that's the only thing she has to keep in order is okay where in the cycle of the moon is my you know where where will i be ovulating and how am because she is she's just a potential baby machine really in this household but before we actually i guess get into some of the logistics i guess more of that kind of stuff mm-hmm. i wanted to talk about the classes and the way people are the differentiations okay. uh, like the econo wives and all yeah, that stuff yeah and where and where you know this this book it's i think more people see it, it talk about it and, and myself included a lot of times the first thing that we mention it as or think of it as as this feminist dystopia type thing but it's not so much there's a lot going on with class as well as gender here too and you know that's part of the whole thing of why you know offred is put in i mean she's a handmaiden you know if she's not of this financial class and this level 
of power that she could be considered a wife. You know? Yeah. That's, um, I mean, you know, and they have it all color coded in here, which, you know, which I think is very, they all have their, their specific symbolism and everything. But the, it's, it's, so with the society, women aren't allowed, it, it, they're not allowed to read, except, although the ones that are considered the ants are called the ants are allowed to read. But that's only so they can teach the scripture to the handmaidens. Yeah. And that's the, even the wives aren't allowed to read scripture, which I think is really unusual. But, you know, that's, that's one thing to me. I'm like, okay, you're not even encouraging these women to read scripture, you know, forget, but it's still that, okay, we want to keep these women subservient to us in this this extreme, uh, like militarized, like patriarchy. Yeah. It's it's so fucked up. It's, you know, the, the casts of women, there's what, like six different kinds of, except I'm thinking there's hand or like wives. Yeah, there's six. If you count like, okay, because you have the wives and the daughters, which the daughters are the natural or adopted children of the ruling class. Okay. So, okay. So the wives, they, and they wear blue kind of to symbolize the Virgin Mary and the daughters wear white until they get married, which all marriages are arranged now. Then the handmaids have uh, basically, they're there to bear children for the infertile wives. And then they wear red with the white hats, whatever bonnet bonnets yeah, the bonnet. <laughs> if you, you will our aunts or martha's next and then aunts because okay. they're the they're the trainers of the the handmaids and they dress in brown but like i said they're the only women who are allowed to read and it's only because they can to teach the scripture to the handmaids but they're still they are still limited and then they're the marthas who are the older infertile women who have domestic skills and they're basically servants and they're dressed in green and Martha was a character was a a, uh, a biblical character as well so you so a lot of this goes back to is uh, is very like Old Testament type references and stuff and then the on the bottom tier well there's still actually technically more underneath that these are legitimate women but then at the bottom of the legitimate women is the econo wives who are just women married to men of a lower rank so and they can do the domestic duties the companionship and childbearing and then they actually have like a multicolored kind of role but everything about like their materials and the way they dress is like described as like being cheaper and a little mm. trashier and so it's usually like and in here you have like the Martha's wives and Econo wives like seeing the handmaids as promiscuous and kind of so they're ostracized even though they still say oh it's a, ne- it's a necessary kind of uh, function for society because it is such a religion and politics are so intertwined in this world and it's actually only part of the United States because you hear them refer to like California. Oh, right. And, and you almost get the, and you get, and like in Florida, and you kind of get the sense that they're outside Gilead and they're, you know, importing their stuff. I mean, at least that's how I feel, but maybe I'm misreading that. No, there's, there's definitely territories held by the rebels, but these people did take out the U.S. government. Right, right. But, um, but they're operating somewhere. I think what, since they've, they were all consumed by my brain very recently, I can't remember which one right. or, or in how many she wonders where the US government is operating in secret you know underground like in Hawaii mm-hmm. or maybe California right right East um, Coast this is mostly mm-hmm. East Coast like this, Harvard well, Square and shit well because it, yeah there's a lot of this that is does take place in the in Boston and the in kind of more New England area it seems oh so before I, I didn't finish the 
And so the other two, like, kind of layers, like, tiers of, like, illegitimate women are the unwomen, which are the sterile women that are unmarried or, like, some are widows. They're usually the, the feminists, the lesbians, nuns, and whatever, politically dissident women who don't want children. So they're seen as basically failing to do their correct whatever duty and then um jezebels who are the ones who are the like forced to become the prostitutes or entertainers and some of them may or may not have been in the sex industry prior to this governmental change and this shift in society they do talk they do say in there like oh no that one over there you know she's a scientist or something blah 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 on this other one and you even see Moira there and you know she wasn't she's just basically like had was a handmaiden or you know had him in place but she was trying to escape and they caught her and they gave her like basically said go here you're gonna go to the colonies where you'll be with all the toxic waste and everything and she was like fuck it i'll go to the <laughs> i'll go yeah. to the brothel you know which would i i would have done the same thing that would be me <laughs> i'd be like yeah <laughs> yeah i would imagine so and especially i mean the fact that she's a lesbian so <laughs> i mean like yeah, but but anyway, and then the men are kind of divided into four categories. All above they, women. Of course, they're all above women. And regardless of their economic status, too. But commanders of the faithful are the ruling class. And they're the ones who have the, the wide the, and the handmaid if necessary and the Marthas and the guardians. So, you know, the full whatever serving staff. The you hear in there uh, here in here the um the eyes who are the secret police who are trying to look for who's discovering you know violations of the rules of uh, Gilead. And then you have the angels who are soldiers fighting in wars to expand the and protect the borders, and they're allowed to marry. Then there are guardians of the faith or soldiers who are used for the routine policing. Um yeah. And I, I love that and I I love it on the Wikipedia description says they are unsuitable for other work in the Republic being quote stupid or older or disabled or very young apart from the ones that are eyes incognito (laughs) which that is actually from like quoting from the book but I just like they are unsuitable for work (laughs) and those are the ones they were green but and then men who engage in homosexuality are considered gender gender traitors um and they're, they're either killed or they go to the colonies. And then they, I mean, they mention in the book, like, babies and, like, the amount, like, the fear, the high, you know, like, there's such a high fear of, will the baby an, uh, be born damaged because of all the the toxicity in the environment? And there's a, there's a lot going on, like, about the ecology and the environment in this book. But there's never, I don't, I don't feel like there's an outright discussion about environmentalism. <laughs> I mean, is it just me? <laughs> no, the, it's just sort of offhanded. Like yeah. people suck so much that eventually all the toxic waste made this happen. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's never, you know, this big thing about like never becomes like a big explanation about like oh it got so bad and blah 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 and it built up to this and it's just like no you people fuck shit up stop you know. <laughs> yeah, everything was business as usual all the way up to well not. Right. Yeah, all the way up to the change in power. Right, and well, so bit by bit, I guess. Well, because they started right. taking little little pieces away. Yeah. 
Yeah. But one thing that they say, like, and based in part of that would be related with that because there's so many different aspects of reproductive rights and reproductive health and health care that is taken away. One of these things where they talk about, I mean, abortion is outlawed, but they still also end up forbidding tests determining the prenatal health of a fetus. Yeah. So, and and you hear that it kind of like that they get rid somehow of these children that are born damaged, that they call unbabies, but you, Shredders. Don't, you don't know exactly what happens to them, right? I mean... Yeah, they just... Uh... Yeah, also known as shredders, but I mean, like, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of the unspoken secret or whatever. They're gotten... They're uh, removed somehow from the situation. Well, when you don't value the life of the mother, you can do that in any number of ways. Well, exactly. Exactly. Um... So that's kind of, uh, I guess, an overview of how there's such this divide in society. And, oh, one thing I, I do want to say that they talk a little bit about, but not much, and, and I do wish they went into more, is you see a racial segregation, too. Oh, right. The sons, sons of Ham or sons and daughters of Ham? Children of Ham. Children of Ham. Yeah. And, you know, and they do mention in the book, which we're spoiling this. We don't care. We spoil everything on this show because most of what we cover is nothing new. And if you haven't seen or read it by now, um, <laughs> <laughs> the book's 30 years old, the statute the of limitations. 30, is... yeah, it's 33 years old at this point. So, yeah. So anyway, at, at the end of the book, there's this kind of like afterward where it's this, an administration comes back and, and realizes this one that has been so dictatorial and fascist and everything. And they point out that there was this level of racism in this regime, this in this Gilead, but you don't, I don't think that they talk about it as much as I'd like them to talk about it. Yeah, it's, I guess it can be taken in some, some things like what does the commander say? The better doesn't mean better for everyone. Right, right. But they don't flat, they don't flat out go like, we well, sent all the African Americans to Africa or killed them. Right. Well, and that also refers to the poorer people too. Mm -hmm. because the poorer people aren't getting some of these they're being affected as well yes it's a brutal caste system in a highly violent insane theocracy exactly and there, there's often racism racism and religion like they they have a lot more in common than just starting with r they seem to be intertwined a lot well and i mean and one thing i i do want to i did want to actually point out excuse me while i open the book here <laughs> <laughs> I've got it marked on page like 225. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, With one I'm of those uh, little post-it sticky tabs, or are you a yes, page bender? Yes, I do. I have it with a post-it sticky. <laughs> yes. Um, about how basically how Gilead came into being is the fact that this group they sh basically here here's what happened. But here's how it was spun in the media, like this new theocratic regime spun it in the media initially. So it was after the catastrophe when they shot the president and machine gunned the Congress and the army declared a state of emergency. They blamed it on the Islamic fan fanatics at the time. 
33 years ago. Yep. So they immediately are talking about, yeah, let's blame, you know, the Muslims. Sign the Patriot Act. Sound sound familiar? Like, (laughs) you know, it's just there are certain things like that. It just, oh my God, I had a number of moments when I was reading this. And I've read this book before, but I haven't. I probably, and I read it maybe two, three times before this. But I hadn't read it since maybe over 20 years. And so I was reading reading this now too and I had a lot of things pop in my head where I'm like hmm also sounds like a certain uh, Sinclair Lewis book that we read a few months ago on here (laughs) right (laughs) didn't you have the same thought where I was like wait (laughs) they're just like mirroring each other in these certain these little different things and it's like yeah 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 there's a pattern that they follow to make this horrible shit happen and right it's uh, and that comes out in the show really well since they've got oh, the time right. to spread out um, well absolutely absolutely but yeah in the book this i haven't read this since college mm-hmm. and that was actually the last time i saw the movie too was in college <laughs> and right luckily they re-released the movie on dvd i've got the like shout factory yeah DVD me too blu-ray thing that came out but it was on a vhs i think when i first saw it because yeah i had it on vhs and then i lost that in a move and never had it on dvd and then i bought it again recently the shout factory blu-ray but i haven't watched the um special features yet i had wanted to do that before the show but i didn't get a chance to but yeah and i know i saw the movie before i saw the book to tell you the truth and my my copy of the book this is it's fantastic it's falling apart (laughs) it has pages that are all yellowed it has my signature in it from from college because but on the back it was like the first edition that says now a major motion picture (laughs) it was the first edition that had that so (laughs) And that tells you the book, the movie came out, what, in 1990? Yes. So so this was probably maybe 91 that I got the book. <laughs> 1991 <laughs> that I got the book. So anyway, because uh, as soon as I saw the movie, I picked up the book. And I probably picked, like, read it, like I said, a couple more times between that time and, like, 1995 or 96. So, yeah. Um, but still have the same copy. But I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Just... <laughs> laughing and then as i'm reading it this time i'm like well that's falling apart that's kind of falling apart and like wasn't even particularly rough on the book but (laughs) just time and attention will destroy a book Exactly, and a certain amount of moves and things like that over the years. So, where do we want to go from here on this? What do we want to? How do we want to go into this? Do we want to talk about the world as a general note, I guess, or yeah, yeah. We start talking about the ceremony. I feel like we shouldn't start talking about the ceremony yet. I think we need to give a little bit more background the society of Gilead and yeah, that that makes the daily life. The daily life, yeah, because we we already talked about the the ants training the handmaids and you know the the schools and whatever that they turn into prisons right where they train and where moira tried to escape and Um, and moira is a friend of um i'm gonna say june i think that makes the most sense when you when you read it like i said it doesn't explicitly say that offered's real name is june but most of the hints point toward that in my opinion yeah and fuck fuck for Fred. Fuck Commander Fred. Fuck off, man. Yeah, yeah. June. Until we June. talk about the movie where we'll call her Kate. Exactly. 
because they had, that's what they called her in the movie, which that's fine as well. And Margaret Atwood was like, that's fine as well. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't care because she's like, she's not specifically named. So that's fine. Anyway, so June and Moira, they knew each other, had gone to college before all together, before all of this occurred. And as I mentioned earlier, but Moira's lesbian. And they both ended up after the government came in and they ended up at the Red Center together. But, you know, it, it's kind of June is the one who ends up getting placed with this um, with Fred and Serena and that fan, whatever as I that's her assignment. But Moira escapes from the Red Center and we end up she ends up disappearing for a while in the story, at least. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I'll let you go. Go back to what you were saying. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so I, felt I, I, should, I felt I should give that little bit of reference. Totally. Yeah. Uh, at the Red Center, she basically tells us a lot of this stuff. We see the train and the tortures, the brainwashing, basically, that they try to do to the women to break them. And there's a lot of inner narrative. This is a first-person narrator, right? That's, That's how you say it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a minute. <laughs> it's a, it's a lot of it's a lot of uh, inner monologue kind of things. Yeah, it talks about things that were taken away to prevent escaping. But what was that line about? They're not really worried about escaping out the window. It's the escapes you can open up in yourself with a broken mirror or something like that. That yeah, yeah, definitely sort of hammers home the. It, yeah, it. I mean, it's it's like they, it, in the way it comes in in multiple places. And the book is that well, if you do something wrong the government has no problem killing you but if you kill yourself to get out of all of this that's what they have the problem with you're robbing the government of your ovaries exactly they see it as a selfish and sinful act because right because you're robbing the you're robbing the the government of your ovaries it's the most fucked up phrase in the world (laughs) yeah it's, it's I fucking brutal. I would say they can't have my ovaries, but I got rid of those a while ago. <laughs> so you'd be at the colonies as an ovaryless gender traitor. <clears throat> I would be, or I tell you, or you'd be no, at Jezebel's. Yeah. No, I'd be at Jezebel's because they, you know, I'd be like, listen, I can help. <laughs> <laughs> give me the drugs. Sure, give me the drugs. Give me the. I could, I could have other women there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they don't care, right? Don't That's care. what Moira says. They don't care but, who you fuck. And she says they see. They sterilize you once you get there anyway. So no, I and I make that reference and, and let me explain. And this is in one part why I wanted, you know, to have your have your uh, have a your wife or another female who has had a child on because I have never been pregnant in my life and I have endometriosis. And actually, I had to have a um, partial hysterectomy, whatever, however many years ago. So um, just for health reasons. And there was, and so for me, because of the endometriosis, there was always a possibility that even if I had wanted children, I could never have them. Or like it would have been, I it would have been a, just a terrible pregnancy and I probably would have had miscarriages. So, you know, and it worked out. <laughs> hey, there you go. Out. It worked out. But so I'm just saying, that it yeah for me like in someone in, if that position in this society i would have been fucked 
I'd been so fucked. I on multiple levels. I know it's a totally different type thing for women who have had children or who want children. So that's why, like I said, some of what I'm I, our, our, my discussion here is is limited, and I I feel like our discussion would have been a little different in some places. But I think we'll still manage well. And and I've always been very uh, pro-choice, and I've always I've like been escorted clinics and stuff like that with fighting some of these religious zealots who have been out there and even one of at one clinic I was working in in Alabama one of our doctors was shot and killed and because yeah because he performed abortions and so that kind of I've seen those kind of fucked up re- crazy religious zealot in person yeah and they're the same fucked up crazy religious zealots that would form a society like the one you see here in the handmaid's tale totally yeah Amanda has also escorted as a man i can totally speak 100 percent for my wife in this society <laughs> um she'll <laughs> be happy to know that you are um <laughs> mansplaining and shit yeah quiet unwoman <laughs> she she she's the type of person that goes and kicks down the the billboards that they put up and she's done the right the escorting and I, my encounters with those people is definitely different, obviously. But yeah, they used to always be on the main park at my college. And I would just walk through and knock over their signs, you know, if they were in my mm-hmm. way. Because they'd always put them in the sidewalk, so you had to confront their right. photographs. And, I, you know, you come across a lot of stupid people that think that it was their choice about what their girlfriends did. Yeah. With pregnancies and I've had plenty of conversations and usually I'll just be like, well, then if you count that as killing a person, mm-hmm. then every time you jerk off, <laughs> it's way more potential people that yeah. you're flushing down the toilet in your tissues or whatever. So fuck off with that. And when you're cutting your hair, you're killing a living thing. Right. And also, <laughs> what about every month when a woman menstruates? Yeah. Better stop like, that. Better stop that. I mean, like, <laughs> just. It's, oh, it's like, God. fuck you. Uh, I, yeah. huh? I, I know. I just, some of these people boggle my mind. But like, and I was one, like, when I was going to a Jesuit college, I, w- I was very involved in activism across, along in city in Mobile, Alabama. And I w- actually was going on local television debating some different quote unquote pro-life people. I hate when they call themselves pro-life because it's used in a selective way because yeah. these are also the people who are pro-death penalty. So I'm like, no, you, they're you anti-choice. You yeah, they're anti-choice. You don't get to call yourself pro-life if you are still you're for the death penalty. I, it doesn't yeah. work that way. Pro-war, pro-death penalty. Yeah, but no. you're you're anti-choice. So I would get on local TV and debate some of these people on the other side over the whole thing. And there were some of them who would get so pissed off, especially when they found out that I went to a Jesuit college. They assumed because my school <laughs> was Catholic, essentially, that that would mean, oh, I'm, I have to believe this one way. And I'm like, no. You got the fake fetus graveyards in your yard, like the crazy Catholic I'm like, churches. Uh, no, sorry, that it's, it's an education. Hello, first and foremost. And I think for myself, thank you. But, you know, it was, 
some of them would, you know, when you're out there on the, in like at the clinics and things, get so bananas. And the calmer you stay, the more pissed off they get. Oh my God. The more logical you are, the more pissed off they get. <laughs> it's really, it, it sometimes is a little amusing, I will say. But it's terrifying and annoying as well and just makes me angry. But oh my goodness. <laughs> it, you know, so you have scenes like in this book and, well, in this story, because you see it also in the, the movie and in the series where they're at the Red Center and there's this brainwashing going on where it's like a woman is talking about she had been sexually assaulted by multiple men. And I think it was when she was underage too. And basically there's this whole thing and the aunt, it was it Aunt Lydia is sitting there and, you know, basically saying, you know, coaching everybody to start calling her a whore and saying that was her fault. And she brought- whose fault was it? Exactly. Saying she brought this on herself and... What was she wearing? Yeah. I, How much did she drink? I know. Ugh. And turning a captive society against itself also is straight out of the fascist playbook. You oh, know? completely. 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 And, you know, in, it, Margaret Atwood made a point to say when, it, you know, in, in interviews and everything over the years about this book because, you know, they, people will say, oh, is this science fiction or something? And she says she prefers to call it more speculative fiction because she's like, I didn't take anything that I didn't see already happening in society or we're on, we're like a step away from happening. Right. Nothing so far-fetched and fanciful. It's things that, no, we are in the process of this happening. Mm -hmm. If it hasn't already happened and you just need to fucking wake up. That was basically how it is. And I, I, I think speculative fiction is an amazing way to describe it because I, I know over on Devour, uh, was it last month or the month before, Jamie had asked me what Handmaid's Tale was about. And I was like trying to say, well, is it science fiction? I, uh, uh, no, not really. I mean, I guess it could fall in that category, could fall in the fantasy realm, but it's also, there's a there's a horror aspect to it. I mean, a yes. complete horror aspect, in my opinion. Because really, this kind of society, the realism that would come with this sort of society is, it would be just, it would be complete horror, in my opinion. I mean, particularly as a woman. Yeah, I mean, they're hanging people off walls and cities as examples. There's torture, there's rape, there's such brutality. They cut things off of people. You know, they take away a woman's right to vote or right to, uh, you know, have jobs then they digitize money money yeah she can't have any money anymore she can't yeah can't have a job all these different things are taken away like things that we take it it take for granted yeah it's you know just bit by bit piece by piece piece Mm -hmm. by piece and then blam right so fucked so fucked up so do we want to get into the ceremony yeah let's call it the ceremony the wives will like that yeah. So the point of the handmaids is that I think one in every 100 women is now fertile. Right. And they have because of this to en- environmental yeah. pollution. Yeah. And there's and they I, I don't even know if that number is completely accurate because 
There's also the side story of there can be a virus that men get that makes them infertile. Well, and there's the whole thing about they don't even test the men to see what the rate is for the men being infertile. Yeah. It's just all the blame gets put on the women and all the burden gets put on the women. Yeah. So uh, as far as we know, because early on they tell June that she's not the first handmaids that the Waterfords had. And so Fred could be shooting blanks. Right. Right. That's absolutely possible. So yes, the the ceremony. It basically, it's it's ceremonial rape, is what it is. And yeah, it, I mean, it, they read the Bible first, so it makes it okay. It, yeah, right. Exactly. That's it, right. It's it's a religious ritual, but it's rape and. It's facilitated very much by the man as well as the wife. You know, it's even though still, obviously, it's not like the wives are happy (laughs) that the handmaids are even around and that they are needed, but they are very active participants in this. And basically, because of their position and power in society, they're the ones who matter and the handmaid, right, is is a sexual slave. Yeah. Under the guise of religion. And I think that's part of it. it sexual slavery would piss me off enough, but <laughs> the religious part just pisses me off even more. Like, yeah. the fact that they're doing it in the name of religion is just like, oh, my God. You are so full of shit. Yes, yes. Especially yes. when you get further in, where we've already mentioned Jezebel's. Mm-hmm. You know, the, it's... They don't even buy their own bullshit, and that's the worst kind of hypocrite. Right. Well, and then where you have... So, so like we said, the men, the commanders themselves may be sterile, which that sterile is an outlawed word in this society. They do say that. Yeah. But there's no such thing as a sterile man, supposedly. Just faulty women. But, right, it's all faulty women. But even Serena, the wife, comes to, who had been a televangelist, we we hadn't said that, <laughs> Serena Joy, who had been a televangelist before the all of this happened, she doesn't even buy it either. In the, I mean, because you see at least first with Fred, the, the commander, where he has uh, June come meet him, like at his study, so they can play Scrabble and just hang out, you know? Yeah. You've seen that to begin with, so that... You already know that he doesn't believe completely in all the, you know, bullshit rules himself. Well, if you let the people have those things, they don't know how to handle it. But I'm super cool, so I got it. Right, exactly. Right. He even makes it a reference. He says something like that about the, the mag, the like, like Vogue magazine. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But even Serena, when she then says a little later, like, okay, well, maybe the commander can't have a child. And she's the one who arranges for June to sleep with Nick. So that June can become pregnant. Because Serena needs her baby. Serena needs her baby. Oh my god, I gotta have a baby. I need a baby so I can ash my cigarettes on something. Well, I know. Which, in cigarettes are forbidden in the society, but it's obviously they've got their fingers in the black market somehow. Yep, I mean, she smokes in all of them. She smokes, yes, exactly. Exactly. That's just, yeah. That's not just a, a thing that they carried over, especially now. They try to avoid having cigarettes in anything now because they have to be like, we weren't given any money, and they were used to depict the villainy of a person, or you know, something like that. Right. But the fact that like in the TV series now they have her smoking too, mm-hmm. not as much as Faye Dunaway in 1990 in the movie, which it's fucking Faye Dunaway. Oh my god. <laughs> I have I have a lot of I have a lot to say about that. Um, later. But yeah, it's 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 just 
signify that they've got their fingers in the black market and they they know they're above or feel they're above all the rest of society. And the society too, um, I guess in, one thing we didn't mention when we were talking about the cast was the differentiations in religions as well. Mm. Because it's only a portion of of people who believe in a certain amount of whatever um like they allowed the, it was that they allowed the jews to go to israel yeah the repatriation or whatever yeah they they do mention that but then like the catholics and the, the uh baptists quakers, quakers the baptists the baptists i'm not sure why they're in there but the catholics and the um and the quakers or whatever definitely demonized because partly like catholics partly with the clergy and the way that they had clergy who was not reproducing, you know, that was part of why they're demonized. But the clergy are so, you know, they're the ones trying to help everybody get out of there because they're such pacifists, you know, that's why they're enemies of the state. So yeah, nuns um, go in hiding. Yeah. But um, I don't know why I just kind of jump to that really quick but religion is it is a very religious society but is a very limited portion of religion that they are cherry picking here right and you you see that in religious run you see that here in the states you know well, everything's about religious freedom religious freedom oh we got to have a muslim ban until right oh your religion's not as good as mine yeah that's you see that in the states you see that you know with the kurds and the shia shia and you see that in israel Oh, God. Yeah, there's so many different places. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a, a very strong universal point about the what, what happens when you take it that far. Right, right. It's yeah, I, I, I'm not a I'm not a organized religion guy. Uh, you know, I, I have a lot of issues with it. And I we, that's kind of a no duh thing if you've listened to any other episodes on the show <laughs> we were both we were both raised catholic though right yes yeah well but and the thing is is that my my father i mean even though he was ordained as a catholic deacon that was much that's only been in the last i don't know seven eight years but he he was always very into world religion so here he was teaching me about like Buddhism and, you know, Hinduism and, you know, Judaism, different things, starting when I was like three and four and like I was really young, you know. So I grew up, even though I was officially going to Catholic Mass every week, went through all the, the different rituals and, you know, First Communion, Confirmation, yada yada, and all of that stuff. And even ended, the coincidence, it's a coincidence that I went to Jesuit College. That was a pure coincidence. That was just kind of location and timing. And that was just, it was a good liberal arts school but that's just how that happened but that the Jesuits at least don't push religion on you like some other Catholics yeah they're very much just like education 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 they're that's why they're kind of sometimes demonized by other parts of the Catholic Church yeah maybe the church will eat itself one of these days but yeah maybe but anyway it, yeah and it's so I knew at a very early age that I did not believe necessarily in Catholicism but I kind of went through the motions you know to and and just use it as an opportunity to educate myself so I could when I hit a certain age of being an adult say you know what don't believe this and here's why xyz blah 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 blah, blah. let me go down the list and okay fine but and I'm a lot definitely, of people mm -hmm. uh, I'm definitely on the pagan you know, <laughs> side of things 
So Right. And a lot of people in the world of Gilead just go through the motions too. Right, right. And and I understand where you would be at a point where it's kind of like if you're not saying this, you have to I mean it's out of pure survival. You don't want to be beaten. <laughs> like you just don't physically physically don't want to be beaten. Right. Like the this may come up later when we're talking about the visual thing, but I can't remember if it's in the book. But the the Muslim the Muslim family that that hides their all their stuff. That's definitely uh, in the show. I don't remember if it's. In, I don't think it's in the movie. It's definitely not in the movie. I can't remember. It's if not it's in the, the movie. Book. It's not in the movie. No, there's well, there's something in the book about or Moira's talking about the people who helped her when she escaped from the Red Center. Mm. But I feel like she's talking more about like Quakers and some other group. It seemed like a few different... She was seemed like she was talking about multiple people who are Quakers. Yeah, the, that seemed to get brought up the most often. But anyway, yeah. yeah. You're, you're doing it to not be killed or sent to the colonies. Right, whatever. right. And so it, it's really, yeah, okay, you're supposed to say your prayers. And with this ceremony they pull out the bible and they all do their certain prayers and the fact is for the ceremony it is the wife it's the handmaid laying down at the end of a bed basically with her legs open right there so the commander can come up to her but she but the handmaid is sitting between the legs of the wife during the, the, the act and while before they would ever do that and when they're doing the prayers it's like the Nick and the whatever Martha's whatever are there like the house it's like the household is doing the prayers before the ceremony all together in the room yeah it's like a church service and then a really fucked up communion or something <laughs> don't do that but straight oh sorry I was drinking water and I almost spit that out <laughs> um <laughs> Oh my goodness, that's a good, that's a, um, that's a good and very mild way of putting it. Yes, yes. Yeah, so that's what the ceremony entails, and basically it's the, here, okay, so here's how, here's the passage from the book, and I think this is, sums up so much about the kind of situation of, my red skirt, it's hitched up to my waist, though no higher. Below it, the commander is fucking. What he's fucking is the lower part of my body. I do not say making love because this is not what he's doing. Copulating too would be, in, be, would be inaccurate because it would imply two people and only one is involved. Nor does rape cover it. Nothing is going on here that I haven't signed up for. And while she says that she wouldn't call it rape because she's agreed to do this, I mean... It's under duress. It's, it's under... Threat yeah, of death. It's, exactly. It's under threat of death. So you really, you really haven't, it's not actual consent in, in my opinion. That's, no, it's still not a, that's not a hundred percent consensual. And it's still, it's just a ceremonial rape that you are aware of. <laughs> like it, church sanctioned rape. Church and state sanctioned rape. Yeah. Because it, they're repeatedly, when you hear, you know, she goes back to the Red Center and, and all the different ceremonies, all these different things where they have the ceremony of she has to go witness the hanging for the people who engaged in 
whatever one was, I guess one was like gender treachery. One was a doctor who was caught impregnating handmaidens. And another was like a handmaiden who would slept with a doctor or something and these different things. And and what did, uh, yeah. what was off Warren's real name? Do you remember? Off Warren. Um, that's not Janine. No. No, it's no, I forget. But then then even she says that one of the guys was a political assassination. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He was part of Mayday, the the political resistance. Yeah, the sometimes works in tandem with but not not necessarily part of the underground female road. Right. And and you find that I mean, Nick, who he's the driver for the commander and he's he's worked for them for a while. But you find out, do you find out in the book that he's an I? She does say that pretty much everyone's chauffeur is Is believed to be an I. An I. Okay. I don't think it's 100% clear, but she know she figures out that he's in he's somehow involved with the resistance though. So, it kind of I think he's playing both sides of the fence. Yeah. Yeah, and she ends up sleeping with him because Serena Joy embraces it because it, you know, wants to get whatever Alfred pregnant. But Nick and June had already kind of they have an, they have interactions where it kind of they, you know, they they see some sort of like okay we're gonna be fr- you know friendly to each other we're not gonna is the Marthas and most of them are just like are kind of rude to June because just because she's a, a handmaid yeah Cora is not as bad as Rita you good know point. good point you know you have the one that's better but you end up finding out that the previous handmaiden or co- the commander and Serena had uh, for commander Fred <laughs> and Serena had actually hanged herself and yeah so whether it's they knew she was part of a resistance or she just couldn't handle it anymore i don't know it's uh there's a lot there i think there are things in the book there's some that it doesn't completely tell you every single little thing which i'm fine with yeah i'm fine with and but it gives you enough of this world that you can see the horrors of what would happen if this kind of world if we were living in this kind of world right now yeah it's militarized. You don't know who you can trust. People are encouraged to turn each other in. And that's why the handmaids are never alone. They've always got a partner. And it's, I don't know. It's a brutal world. I, I, the first time I read this, I was a lot younger. And it didn't sink in as much. And of course, the world was a different place. It was, it's always been shitty for women. But I don't know. If this this time, it's because of the types of governments that are in control right now in places like America (laughs) and stuff. I don't know if it's more not drastic more dire yeah yeah i know what you're saying i know what you're saying it no it definitely it definitely affected me in a different way reading it now considering the state of the world and i say that and that it's not just i'm older i think it's really more the state of the world and seeing what okay x amount of time has passed <laughs> 33 then. years well or since i re- last read the book oh. you know and i'm seeing where was the 
the country at that time compared to where we are now in certain in, in certain aspects and what was yeah what was the socio-political climate at that time and where is it now and what has happened over that time and and not necessarily like I said not even thinking about in terms of my life you know and just how different events that have happened as I've aged I'm just looking at how what politically has gone on yeah yeah the we we started to talk about uh, Serena Joy sending June to Nick to get impregnated and we talked about the the one doctor that was put to death for quote unquote helping out the handmaids right and that was I think which, in all the things huh which actually offered had gone to a doctor and he had her doctor for a checkup and he had offered but she turned him down so, so but we are unclear if it's the same doctor or a different doctor doesn't yeah. matter I'm sure it's a nod to the the material but, at the very right. least exactly anyway go ahead and so in the in the book I feel like it's a lot more transactional than in the the film and definitely than in the show absolutely but absolutely yeah in the book and they did take some of the, the one line when you say it was or I could just do it in a cup and you could dump it in oh Sounds it was so crude it made it it was you're right it made it seem so much more transactional and so much more even though you see that these two characters had a little bit of a rapport already not a lot but a little bit yeah they're both serving the family where they might not necessarily want to but when it comes to this actual moment it then seems like you know like a job (laughs) you know what I mean like it doesn't seem like oh there's you know oh we enjoy each other's company or I just want to get my rocks off for a minute (laughs) and this is someone that I don't find that I don't hate and I don't find repulsive (laughs) because in the book I mean the commander is and in Serena I mean but the commander is older you know Nick is younger and closer in age to to June so you know seemingly the commander could be like okay he's just he's too old for me like for me to find him attractive even you know forget the actual task that I'm doing (laughs) you know I can't even say oh he's not bad looking I can suck it up for five you know for five minutes or whatever uh you know seemingly she might have a chance with a, a guy that may be closer to her age or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it, it, it sounds so dumb, but it's easy to find common ground with someone you have more in common with. <laughs> right, right. Someone who's a little bit, and yeah, and and also the fact that they're both servants in a in a, in a certain way. I mean, she's much more, she's on a much lower level, not a closer slavery, like (laughs) legitimate level because he has more freedom than she does and actual rights, you know, and different things just being a man. But it's the fact that they're still the employees of these rich assholes. (laughs) I mean, I'm sorry, these rich, powerful assholes with their book that they, (laughs) this Bible that obviously if this has been arranged, they don't, don't completely believe in. So, yeah, but you're right. Right, absolutely right. The book, it is, it has a very transactional, it's a little impersonal. Yeah, uh, especially amongst all the medium. Right, right. And so that that takes place, that happens, and... And you, I mean, you don't need, like, wild romance or anything 
at all, but just seeming like two characters trying to, you know, potentially grasp at any sort of emotional connection, even fleeting yeah. in the society that's so strict. Yeah, it's it's like, you know? uh, yeah, it's, it's trying trying to find a, any port in a storm. Right. Or, yeah. And so as, as, it go, as it goes, I think the next big thing, well, obviously the commander sort of continues his infatuation with June. Yes. And so one night he's got a surprise for her. Yeah, because right? he has he has been inviting her to his office uh, at night so they can play Scrabble or different card games or whatever. Then he lets her look at different magazines and and uh, yeah, he ends up getting her. Uh, I I the one detail that I love love in the book that they end up with in the movie. I know I don't remember how if they did it in the series, but I remember it in the movie. I always remember it in the movie is the whole detail where she asks if he can get her like she said he says what can I get for you and she's like can you get me some lotion and she's like because my skin gets really dry and he's like look at her like but what have you been using and she's like I've been stealing pats of butter pats of butter and I'm like, I love that. It's such a small detail and it represents how you keep, how you are in this situation where you are a prisoner or you have such restrictions on you and you don't, you know, it's not, it's physical as well as financial prison type thing. And it's a small thing that you, you do that keeps, it, it helps you keep a sense of humanity mm-hmm. and I remember my great aunt Olga talking about like living during the depression and how they used butter and different when they had little extra like cooking vats and things and would use that sometimes like just as some, you know, instead of lotion, you know, especially because they would be doing hard work. And then it was like, well, they wanted to keep their hands and like elbows and faces, you know, moisturized. And I just one thing that always struck me. And so when I read this book, I was like, that's such a wonderful, like kind of delicious detail. <laughs> Living deliciously, going back to that. Um, <laughs> and but, the butter. You know, and I, but yeah, that's what I that, I know. That's why I said that. Delicious, delicious but, butter. It's just, it's such a small little detail. But I've also read books. uh, uh, I had a, a political, I don't know, politics and literature course in college. And we read a bunch of different books um, that were written, their memoirs um, and autobiographies uh, about the Holocaust and and like the gulags and different things like that. And you would read a lot of things like that about that these people did in these circumstances where they had previously had these freedoms, they knew these freedoms and these luxuries. And then when they're in that situation, it was little bitty acts like that that would help them keep their humanity. And then by the time that they got out of the situation, it was like they weren't completely broken. It was just those little things, though, that that helped them maintain some sort of sense of self at times. That was like, you know, they would cling to those small moments. So that's why I love that inclusion of that detail in this book but anyway sorry <laughs> I had to bring I had to bring that up about um before you went on to talk about the ultimate treat that the commander then uh, then has for June yeah so this is beyond where even the wives are allowed in I believe a big fancy hotel yes it was an old hotel an old hotel there's a place called Jezebel's 
where we've already spoken about some of the women that end up there and it's where fit fittingly or most believed most believingly the powerful men and their government contacts go to be hypocrites (laughs) and so he sneaks her out wearing serena joy's clothes and takes her to jezebel's where you can drink and there's music there's, there's drugs drugs and there's moira and well there are many ladies of the evening something tells me there might actually be some men of the evening there too but we don't uh, see that we don't see that in the in the book or the movies or the series but something tells me that would be there yeah. it's like if it's going to be anywhere it's going to be there there's a room or there's a floor cuz yeah. that arranged for you you know there's that part in the show where they pretend they pretend like they're doing the the rape ceremony but there's people watching right and shit so he yeah he takes her in the book since we're still we've been yeah. talking about still the book the, for a while we're still going on the book yeah it's yeah ordering a drink and she does see moira right in the book mm-hmm. and who she knew moira had escaped but she never found out what happened to her yeah so they get to have a reunion in the in the ladies' room, and Moira. I think this is across all the platforms, but you know, more like we've talked about, mm-hmm. Moira says, you know, you can have drugs, and they don't care who you fuck, and they sterilize you, and you only have to work nights. And in the in the book, June is sort of taken off a little bit because she thinks that Moira, who is the fiery rebellious friend, mm-hmm. seems complacent now. Yeah. Yeah. It's that or the colonies. So I'd take that. And I think that's a choice most people would make. I don't know how well, many people would just, yeah, send me out into the wasteland. Well, and the thing is, is that she had tried to escape and she was in hiding, you know, being moved between multiple places for a while before she got caught. And who knows, whatever, torture and yada, yada, yada. Then, okay, right. At that point, this is, this. yeah, these are my options. Shit. Fuck yeah, I'll t- <laughs> fuck yeah, I'll go to Jezebel's. I, no, I'm not going to the colonies. But why would you even put that on the... No. Why would you put that on the table? No. I guess to make the the less enticing aspects of Jezebel's seem... Well, well, they so... They, yeah, ex- I mean, exactly. It's just... It's, you know, they still want to discourage this behavior there. But it's still... The way it's regulated... You know, is it's still regulated highly. Yeah. Even this illegal behavior that's there. Like you said, the wives can't even come there. Uh, I bet some of the wives would love to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Their shit's got to be boring. Well, exactly, exactly. I mean, we know Serena knits. I mean, I love knitting a lot, too. However, that you can't live on knitting alone. <laughs> <laughs> and I think they even say that she knits, but she says, but she's not even really in, like, doesn't even like knitting. It's just what she's expected to do. I think that they say that one place and I'm like, I love it. It's like that because she's a wife. Like that's what's expected is that she's going to then pick up knitting, go and hang out with the other wives and they're all going to knit together. Right. Sure. Right. I mean, they do mention, I mean, she has her gardening that she does too. And um, I think they say some sort of need other needle point or something, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. They, what are they doing? Going out waiting for the next birthing? That's pretty much all she has to hang around for. Woo. 
and the salvaging like we talked about right uh so yeah that's the most exciting part of their day is going to public executions uh yeah and there's like the whole thing where there's there's a whatever the public hanging thing that they have to go witness but then there's the stoning right yeah i I think it's it's more specifically stoning in the show Show. in the movie and i think also in the book it's you can do anything right very like what the the bakai or what were the what were the wild ladies in the greek mythology that worshipped bacchus or like i don't i don't I don't know where I'm going with that. I don't know off the top of my head, but... Uh, but yeah, it's just they whip the the handmaids up into a frenzy, and then... Yeah, exactly. And there's... Yeah, I mean, there are all these different things. It's like you're encouraged to take part in these kind of things. And yeah, it's just expected that, okay, we're going to be walking by, and there's going to be a pool of blood. Oh, okay, we've got to go to another public execution. Oh, oh, are we just watching it this time, or are we taking, like, physically taking part this time? <laughs> you know, it just... Yeah. That's that's the common wor- that's the world they live in. And even people that are part of the resistance can't not participate. Gi- yeah, or they're given away and it's like a, a guerrilla warfare. Mhm. Uh, it's man. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> um We've wow. Been ta- <laughs> We've been talking a lot about the book and yeah, we still haven't even gotten to the movie. So I I don't know. Do you want to kind of wrap it and say anything else about the book before we move on before we take a break and then move on to the movie well i guess we should do the part in the book that's not in the movie the afterward we touched on it a little bit yeah we we've we've mentioned it so basically the book and ends somewhat ambiguously where she doesn't know what's going to happen to her right where she's taken away yeah after after jezebel's a little while later they come and say that she is conspiring against the government but nick is uh says something like just go with it it's part of mayday yeah and what serena calls her a bitch and it's and she thinks she's pregnant at this point yeah and she's pretty sure like 99 percent sure it's nick's yeah and yeah serena calls her a bitch she lets her veneer slip and the commander looks worn down and shriveled like a useless dick. I don't think she says that, but something about shriveled and weak, and that was my interpretation. Sure. And then, yeah, there's a a bit that I don't remember this from the first time I read the book, but it's like a couple hundred years in the future, and they're discussing this at a... A symposium or a college class, right? Something like that. And they're looking back at the lost society of Gilead and like archaeologists or sociologists or whatever they would be, and talking about what went wrong with this society. Yeah, and that the the story was on tapes that couldn't have been faked within the last couple hundred years so they seem genuine but they don't know what happened to june or nick there's a big record of commander waterford and that you know he was one of the original architects but he wasn't even the last person in charge that gilead went on for a while and he was most likely done away with in one of the stalinesque purges of power i know Uh, so 
Yeah, and they like try to piece things together with like, well, this is most likely who this was, and yada yada, but we can't tell for sure. Yeah, it's still and, a bleak end. Well, not super bleak because obviously that world yeah. doesn't exist anymore, or that style of society doesn't exist anymore. But nobody had a good end. Nobody from the story. No, ended no, exactly, well. exactly. And yeah, that was that was the only thing that I thought won't come out in conversation after we take this little break yeah um another thing i just i kind of want to mention before we yeah go on and talk about because obviously like we said you know we're gonna be talking about the movie and then there's the hulu tv series but this was also like adapted for stage even before it was adapted for, for film and then that was in 89 and then there was an opera in 2000 and then there was another stage adaptation in 2002 then there was a ballet in 2013 (laughs) and then there was a different like a one-woman show stage show that was uh adapted um in 2015 so this has inspired a lot of people (laughs) to do things with it i mean it's fantastic source material and there is so much here it's so much here they're coming for you again they are gender treachery (laughs) or they're harboring my my my, uh, gender i'm harboring a a gender queer kitty too so you know they're gonna get me for that (laughs) zora hide anyway the feline female road yeah so um so yeah do we have anything else to say about the book before we take a break i think it is probably apparent but i would recommend it would you i would i absolutely would some it's it's a lot i will say and you know it's less than 400 pages so it's not extremely long but it is a lot to absorb so it's not a breezy read yeah and and i know there's an audiobook of it out there read by claire danes which is supposed to be really good um have you read have heard that i have heard that yeah i i I've, i don't have well i i think i have a physical copy of it somewhere but i've got it on my kindle i've mm-hmm. got it i've got the ebook and the audiobook and yeah. it she does for a for a good actress she does a good job uh, you know she <laughs> It it is a it's a really good way to take it in. I I would say because especially yeah. since it is from the first person. So absolutely, and we're we're gonna talk about that more. Yeah, when we get to the adaptations, get it in your eyes or get it in your ears. But yeah, a lot of people tend to avoid what makes them uncomfortable, and I obviously avoid some things that make me uncomfortable but i don't think if you've never taken this book in it's it's one of those yeah i recommend i recommend it partly uh i like margaret atwood's style i will say that that is one i mean i i like her poetry as well as her prose i've read a couple of her uh, other novels and some short story type stuff so i just like her writing style and i think that's one thing that is 
good about this. And the fact that so much is that first person, that that monologue of, you know, this is my life. I am going through all of this. I, I think that was probably the best way to present this material. And the, I mean, as far as the most effective, because it's a gut punch. It's a true gut punch. Yeah. It's, and everyone has a woman in their life that they care about, I imagine. <laughs> well, right. If, if you don't, I guess this is still for you, but you're not going to get it. And I right. can't imagine you listening to this show right now. <laughs> Well, yeah. Especially here at the end of the book. If you're still here at the end of the book discussion. The book, right, right. <laughs> and if you're hate listening. If you're hate listening, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> You're still listening. You're still listening. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's me. Yeah, I think we can close the book. So I guess that wraps up our book discussion. And we will be back in a moment to talk about the movie. Be right back. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Maddie. Do you like horror movies? I sure do. Well, did you know that most horror movies are inspired by real-life horror? Really? Like what? Well, take The Shining, for instance. That's based on Stephen King's real-life addictions, or The Purge, which could be our country any minute now. Oh, and The Strangers, which is based on a real-life murder. People should be talking about these things. Hey, Guys. Oh, oh, hey, Producer, Producer Michael. Producer Michael, hi. Oh, well, I hate to break it to you, but somebody already is. It's you. <gasps> That's right. We are Friday the 13th, the podcast where we talk about horror in real life and horror in media, all from an LGBTQ perspective. Because we gay, y'all. We are proud members of the Legion Podcast Network, and we can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Come along with us on this crazy journey, and as always, get slayed. And we're back with more of the VD Clinic. And we are going right ahead into the 1990 film adaptation of the book uh, directed by this is okay. And this is the pronunciation I'm sticking to, but I'm sure it's it's not correct because, well, I don't know German. So here it is. Volker Schlondorf. That sounds good to me. Okay. I don't know German. Never claim to. I, I mean, I know a couple words, but but not Volker Schlondorf. No, I don't. And actually, I this is a director I was not familiar with. And but I hmm? said, <laughs> but you said, <laughs> yeah, I well, I was clicking on his name to see if it would give a, a little bit of a way to say his name. And I saw that he directed the Tin Drum. Which, after I tell you about it, it might move... Well, the book's kind of long, but we might be able to do the movie and a other book. Because, you know, we don't always have to do the movie book thing. Right. Uh, it, uh, the Tin Drum, the movie, was directed by Volker Schlondorf. And it won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, or Cannes. And it won the Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film in... Uh, the movie was 79, so I guess that would be the 1980 awards. Uh, it's based off a novel by an author called Gunter Grass, which I've read, but it's been for fucking ever. And I think the movie is actually still banned in Oklahoma. Really? Yeah, it's... Oh, okay. Now I'm intrigued. <laughs> really, really quickly, because uh, we are not here to talk about that messed up book. Yeah. Uh, it sort of starts with the main character's grandfather being chased by the Polish secret police or something like that. Yeah. And that's how he met his grandmother. And then it's, it's you know, it's bleak. 
and it's in German. Mm-hmm. And it basically the main character whose name I can't remember, the narrator, is like a little kid in Germany around the Nazi era, because that'll come into play later. If my memory serves, which it doesn't always do, uh, he's looking at how fucked up grownups are and he decides mm-hmm. he's going to kill himself because he doesn't want to become a grownup. Yeah. So he like throws himself throws himself down some stairs or out a window but all, he doesn't die it just stops his body from growing so mm-hmm. he looks like a little kid throughout the movie and later on there in the movie there's a sex scene and it was uh he was played by an actor that i think had a similar genetic condition okay but it was seen as or if if it's still banned in oklahoma it was banned under a child pornography statute okay and it was damn what's the word obscenity it was like a bunch of obscenity laws right so yeah oscar oscar is the main character and he's given a tin drum for his third birthday yeah he decides to stop growing and throws himself down the stairs and he's just like angry and introspective and you know we can't get a lot of work so he works for the nazis and helps them do their their propaganda plays or something like that and he falls in love with a woman but she's not really into him because she sees him as a kid it's it's one of the bleaker things that i've read and seen yeah yeah i said i, I would be quick I and muted, i totally I, I'm, wasn't i muted the whole police chase over that was going uh, on in the background <laughs> okay yeah. <laughs> no, that sounds uh, No, that sounds interesting. Yeah, I think there's a Criterion release of it. Yeah, there is. Okay. Then now that you say that the name I have seen it when I looked through the Criterion uh, type stuff. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Anyway, that's hmm. what he did. That's <laughs> That's what the director of The Handmaid's Tale, the 1990 movie, okay, did. Yeah. One of his things. He, I know he did a lot of things in German. I don't know how much he did in English before this, but looking at his looking at his IMDb credits, it didn't seem like really anything. <laughs> So anyway, this also, um, of course, it is uh, based on the Margaret Atwood novel. But interestingly enough, the screenplay was by Harold Pinter, who many people may know as the playwright, who South African playwright who did Master Harold and the Boys. Uh, that's where I knew him from actually before this movie, to tell you the truth, I think. I, I knew him from some like reading like in different drama classes hmm. before the movie but it didn't it's really funny the name and didn't register with me for some reason until i watched it for this show <laughs> like oh yeah i've seen the movie over, multiple times over years ever like over decades practically it only stuck with me like oh god harold pinter jeez <laughs> like okay now so, i see it now i see it okay there we go and um and i do want to point out costume design by colleen atwood she is not related to margaret atwood but i point that out because she is one of my favorite costume designers yeah probably favorite one of the favorites yeah, working today is, is she stage or screen more often um um, both, well, but she—you would know her work from. She works with Tim Burton a lot. The first time she worked with him was Edward Scissorhands, uh. and interestingly enough, she did Manhunter and then she did Silence of the Lambs. Uh, 
Yeah, she does a lot of stuff that pops up. Some of it that's very theatrical, like she did the the Snow White and the Huntsman kind of costume designs, these very elaborate, kind of fantastical type things. But then she'll do these more subtle and sedate. And she, I love that she did the costumes to Married to the Mob, you know? <laughs> that Michelle Pfeiffer movie? Yeah, yeah, that Jonathan Demme, Michelle Pfeiffer movie. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the clothes in this movie are so stark um and and i bring it up because the clothing design is very important to indicating the class system in this entire world that margaret atwood has created yeah the very specific colors it's a very specific type thing and while i love margaret atwood i i mean i'm sorry while i love colleen atwood i think i i don't her costumes weren't 100 percent accurate to like the the bonnet type thing wasn't there uh-huh. She did like a red veil type thing, which I could see them doing that for the ceremony, maybe like only for the ceremony. Yeah, the the in- indoctrination but, or induction ceremony. But no, but the no, like the rape. Oh, oh, that ceremony. ceremony. Yeah, uh, I could see them doing it for th- like changing to it for that. Like that would I think work perfectly. But I think for the rest of the time, she needs to have that white, plain, puritanical bonnet. Yeah, I think that that was that's important important because it also it's her interacting in the outside world and where she's supposed to be so restricted from society yeah you know i think that's and i think that's an important part of how we're supposed to view these handmaids in this society and you know how the rest of society is wants them to be hidden you know the the dress needed to be longer her she needed longer sleeves mm. because they're supposed to be more hidden physically. Yeah, that's the where ankles are porn. Right, work. right, exactly. Because it's distinctly described that they have like these ankle length dresses and then like boots on all year long. And it's just lighter weight when it's summer, but still, you know, the I think it's fine for I, I think I, I mean, but it's not that I don't like the costume. Don't get me wrong. I just feel like it should have been more more extreme modesty to go along with the book a little bit more yeah well one of the, i was thinking about that actually because i was the one of the things that i had thought was maybe atwood had worked in and i know a little a lot less about theater mm-hmm. th- than film but that, i a lot of the costuming seemed theatrical or like a from a play you know it was very costumey looking but i think that was the point because of that being specifically in that world you know it was exaggerated but i i I, I, i'm not disagreeing at all with your point with your critique of that but i i had thought a lot of the movie looked a bit like a play Mm -hmm. and which honestly for me though when you see a bunch of like you look at those propaganda videos of fascist Germany and you, you know, you have the Nazi rallies and you see hundreds, whatever of them marching and all their different, their uniform and everything that to me looks theatrical. So yeah, it, it kind of makes sense that this would look a little theatrical. It's, it's all very uniforms are just like a costume in a way. Well, like, they are a costume. Yeah. Just with a different name. It's just with a, right. Exactly. Yeah. Now I've got sirens. Yeah. Well, haha. Dueling sirens. Dueling sirens. So before we go further, I'd, I'd like to also, I'd like to say who our cast is. Do, do, do. Our cast starring Natasha Richardson as Kate or Offred, 
good. They call her Kate in this. Like I said, she doesn't have, they, they don't ever explicitly state her name in the book, what Offred's real name is. So Kate is just as good as any name. Although, again, I do agree that it kind of, the way that some of the languages, things, passages are written in there, it points more towards her name would be June, but I'm fine with Kate too. And obviously Margaret Atwood was, she was involved in making the film just as, you know, just as much as, well, as, you know, as she is with making the series. Mm. So, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. I could handle that. So Natasha Richardson as Kate or Offred, Faye Dunaway as Serena Joy, Aidan Quinn as Nick, Elizabeth McGovern as Moira, Victoria Tennant as Aunt Lydia, Robert Duvall as the commander, and I guess really that's the main people we, there are other people we could go talk more about. Um, but those are the main people we're yeah. need to, we need to be concerned with. And I'm going to say right off the bat, I know we're talking more, we're really here to talk about the movie, but it's inevitable, we've said it before, that we're going to com- make some comparisons to the series. And especially how, in relation to interpretation of the book, I think the casting in the film of Serena Joy, having Faye Dunaway as the commander's wife, was so much better. Because it sh- Faye Dunaway's age appropriate, I feel. More age appropriate than the actress that they have in the series. It's not that I dislike her, I just, it's, there's a certain aspect of that that comes with the character. Yeah, uh, Ivan Stravowski, I think, is who plays Serena Joy mm-hmm. in the in the, in the TV show. Yeah. Okay. In the series. Okay. And yeah, she's wonderful actress. She's uh, she's very, very good. Don't get me wrong. But she doesn't give me age... spinster, you know? Well, in the, they speak in the book of Serena being of a certain age. And she also is partially crippled. That's right. And you don't see that either one of those things in the TV series. In the movie now with Faye Dunaway, you see her, I think, using like a cane at a point, at least, and like that. You know, it's, yeah, it's leaning not, on something. Right. You see her a few different things where it's it's not overly, it, you know, I mean, and honestly, they probably wanted her to do more. And Faye Dunaway was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Just because <laughs> she had, well, she has a reputation for being a little difficult. And I could see her saying and being such a diva and saying, I don't want to appear like I can't just because I'm this certain age. I don't want to appear like I'm not able to do things, even though it's more about this character has had an accident. And that's why she's partly, you know, has these physical ailments. <laughs> it's yeah. not her age. Um, I could see Faye Dunaway turning on the diva factor and saying, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, had you seen that she had quit once? Yes. Yes. Okay. That's what I'm saying. I can totally see it. So, but she definitely has a certain presence because of the age factor that I think is important. And Aiden Quinn is so much like, that actor of that era. <laughs> that you, you know what I mean? Like the, I guess the late 80s and into the, in the early to mid 90s. Like he was just one of those actors that they started. Oh, he had that certain look and <laughs> let's just make him the love interest thing or whatever. Wasn't he the cop in Practical Magic? Uh, yes, he is. That's okay. <laughs> just what I was thinking of as well. <laughs> that's that's probably the most recent thing I've seen him in. It's, Amanda loves that movie. Um, That's actually... 
it's not a bad movie. It's it's surprisingly not bad. Um, but no, he I saw him. He's on an an episode of Law and Order SVU that mm. might be recent. <laughs> <laughs> and then go way back. He was in Desperately Seeking Susan. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I loved him in that. Um, but we're not here to talk about that. <laughs> Just, uh, but you know, he's like very specifically like of that era. That kind of this is so 1990 whatever. You know, it, it at moments you can completely tell like some of the shoulder pads like in the seams <laughs> where you're like oh god <laughs> where some of the the clothing is a little more <laughs> specific that you're like those shoulder pads it is obviously still late 80s like early 90s where and, the bigger shoulder pads were a thing and that's the kind of clothes i one would imagine in a dystopia <laughs> <laughs> with mullets yeah. mullets and sh- yeah shoulder pads like they're making fun of the level of shoulder pads and designing women shoulder pads or dynasty oh dynasty shoulder pads and hair <laughs> <laughs> that is your dy- dystopian theocracy right there oh yeah that's true unless it was run by drag queens <laughs> <laughs> Divinesty. Divinesty, exactly. <laughs> Anywho, um, so so yeah, he's like very much of that area. Elizabeth McGovern, she did more stage type roles, but she like came out of that. I think she came out of that whole Chicago theater scene too. And I always confused her with Elizabeth Perkins because they oh, have yeah. a they have a similar look I've, a little bit. I I I feel you. Uh, I especially around the eyes. Yeah. I used to watch Once Upon a Time in America almost once a month or something like that and that's what i think about her that's that's how i recognized her right away right from that but i can mm-hmm. really see that elizabeth perkins i think their eyes are similar color too. a little bit a little bit yeah it doesn't help that they're both named elizabeth and they both have dark hair <laughs> i mean like <laughs> that same age you know it really and i think elizabeth perkins also came out of like chicago theater scene too <laughs> like <laughs> serious. yeah now victoria Ten- okay aunt lydia aunt lydia needs to be older too I like Victoria Tennant. She is great bitchiness. Was she the mom in Flowers in the Attic? Yes. Okay. Yes. It's driving me crazy. I was like, is, it, is, she, is she Chucky's Sorry. mom? Is she Chucky's no. mom or is she Flowers in the Attic mom? She's Flowers in the Attic mom. Okay. I had it narrowed down yeah. and I guessed the, the safer guess. Yeah. But Chucky's mom had the same haircut as she has in this. Of course. <laughs> or not Chucky's mom. Damn it. Andy. Andy's mom. I knew what you, <laughs> okay. I knew what you meant. But no, it was that same era. You know, the right around that same time period. That was a very big haircut of that era and yeah she's the flowers in the attic mom and while i think she's good at the bitchiness you need i that needs to be someone who's older the the ants are supposed to be older i i thought it seems so but i don't know if they really definitely specify in the yeah. in the book mm-hmm. they're definitely they're they're not fertile right but well it seems like maybe they were i mean and then it's debatable that some of them maybe they were at one point and then now they've like aged out of it you true. know yeah if they were handmaids that towed the company company line or whatever and also i yeah we you said it really well in that there's gonna be the bleed over of the comparisons Mm -hmm. but Anne dowd (sighs) 
fucking rules in this role. I'm sorry. Like, I hate her so much. Yes. You know, like there's that seething uh, Professor Umbridge for a Harry Potter reference since you don't pay attention that much to Harry Potter. But it's the lady that I usually Photoshop Trump's head onto from Harry Potter, from the Harry Potter world. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like Anne Dowd is such a good villain. Like the show would not be the show without her. The movie is fine without... Um, uh, without Victoria Tennant. Victoria Tennant. But then again, in this, Aunt Lydia isn't as prominent as the show. That's true. Yeah, they sort of plucked that character out and probably tailored a little bit, like they do with Walking Dead. Well, and I think, but I think it's the advantage of being able to play things out over a series. That is one thing I do like about this series is that it can take what's in the book and expand on it and expand on that world and those characters and that were already there and then it has introduced some other aspects that you know characters when that you know weren't necessarily but it you see more of the indoctrination you see aunt lydia coming and checking more on offred in the home different kinds of things because in the series as opposed to the movie and as opposed to the book you see offred getting pregnant and staying like at the with the commander and Serena till she's almost, you know, pretty much full term. Yeah. You know, pregnant compared to, oh my goodness, I think I just got pregnant. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I'll, I'll know pretty soon. <laughs> I'll know pretty soon for sure, but I'm pretty sure that, so you know, it's been, she's at least a month along. Yeah. At that point compared to almost nine months. So you, you see what's sub- action that's supposed to take place over a longer period of time and things like that. So the series has, it does it allow, and I'm glad they've utilize that that medium to expand the Aunt Lydia character because she is a fascinating character. And then you have such a wonderful actress as Anne Dowd who can just expound. Yeah. You know. Uh, they they the, they definitely did ex- yeah, expand and explore on the aspects of the book. And the movie follows the book a lot closer, a lot tighter cuz, you know, right. they're not as expanded, but the things that I would be curious about knowing more the interesting part they didn't go on and on and on forever about the stuff that nobody cares about nobody wondered about like some shows can do when they're trying to stretch out to american length right right and as far as the movie goes oh and then i want to i'm going to comment too and what do you think about robert duvall as the commander he looks more like i pictured the commander but doesn't really act like it that much you know Mm -hmm. like he, he does some the character and the world that he made and the world that he runs is reprehensible but in the movie right. it's just kind of Robert Duvall can be a dick you know in yeah he, 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 I don't know he's sort of bumbling and non-threatening and you know he's too personable yeah and you know that's I don't know if that's all his fault from Robert Duvall and you know I, I he's just yeah he's too personable he got so obsessed with learning about evangelicism or whatever that he wrote a book about it trying to understand right. th- those people. And then he went on to do that movie The Apostle afterwards. Yeah. Or that's it. That's what he wrote. Sorry. <sighs> I thought, but I, I know I thought he did more or something. He, 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 may, he, he might have, yeah. but I was thinking of The Apostle. Yeah. Um, he got, he went down a rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> Which you do when you're doing research. But yeah, there's just it. something about him that's too personable. The guy that plays the commander is too young, I guess. But then again, it's... You mean um, Joseph Fiennes? Yeah. Uh, on is, the series? Yeah. Is he Ray Fiennes' brother? 
or another yeah. same last name, no relation. No, younger um, brother. And I guess in the way that the show does reflect a more modern thing mm-hmm. and thinking about that sort of shit. I mean, there's people getting lifetime appointment judgeships right now that are in their 40s. Yeah, I know. And shit like that. So I guess, but if we're going from adaptation from the book, yeah. Right. Uh, Robert Duvall's too, too personal. You, it's like he has more the look of what I imagine, but from the series, he has more the personality. Yeah, more of the menace. And more of the menace that I imagine. Because in the series, you actually see him punish Serena. Yes. At a point which, I mean, there's no time for that in the movie, and it's not in the book anyway, but you don't get the idea, you don't just don't get the feeling that Robert Duvall as the commander, would, or as Fred, would do that. Like, oh no, we're just fine. Yeah. Uh, maybe that was the 90s, and they didn't want to go there but yeah i don't know they didn't go there right right and again they there's limit well okay i want to bring oh and before we before we go into well no okay we can i guess i can bring it up no (laughs) while while we're still one last thing i want to say about the cast before we go on but i have something i want to come back to no one thing i wanted to say about the casting of elizabeth mcgovern as moira in the tv movie and in the movie versus the tv series where you have samira Wiley play Moira because you have this whole division of this racial division that occurs here and like we said they don't really talk about it much it's not really it's you know it's there but there's nothing it, it doesn't they don't go into it but having Samira Wiley who is an African-American actress in the role of Moira and having her at the red center there alongside and other women of color there alongside June and you know the others it is totally different than the movie where they're at the red center they're all white you yeah. know they're all lily white and you see I, I one thing i think that is very powerful with the movie is the fact that after you see you see it op- it opens with kate and her husband luke and their daughter trying to cross the border and they get caught and luke gets shot and you don't know what happens to the kid and june gets kept i mean and kate gets captured so then you t- go Kate goes to whatever facility and is herded in and when you say herded in like cattle it's like no literally everybody's like being put through these different you know lines and turnstiles and things yada yada well after they've done their examinations they are like they are actually putting reproduct like women on livestock trucks I mean they're crossing out these signs they say livestock and then they are putting marking over it 116 women like yeah and that is how these either barren women or fertile women are treated. They are put, you are put in your place and you are carted off to whatever. And you do see a distinct, like, then line of all people of color being walked another direction. But you don't really see that come up again, Yeah, you know, in, in the movie. So having in the TV series, having Moira and even Luke is a, is a man of color. So, <laughs> so you have more faces of color and that adds a definitely a different dynamic definitely a different dynamic but I don't think it necessarily takes away anything um, because it wasn't expanded upon in the book to begin with yeah you know what I mean if they had clearly set out this whole thing and gone into more explaining like like a in an you know apartheid type situation or whatever which it seems to have been they if they but if they had gone into like more expand extensively I think it would have and then they had omitted it in the movie or something or th- then you know how would they try they would have to 
deal with it different on the TV series. But still, I think the TV series had a bit more leeway in how they did their casting. Yeah. And I'm, you know, and I'm kind of, and I'm, I'm glad that they, I mean, I think that's perfectly fine be, that it's not exactly like the book. Yeah. Uh, and, go ahead. I, I'm happy with it. I, I, I mean, I'm, as we said a while back, I mean, we're fans of the show and I'm more okay with it since Atwood is still involved. Right. No, me too. Me too. And also, I just feel that it makes so much sense. You have so many good actors out there that are people of color. Why deny yourselves talent? I don't, you know, yeah. for a story that it's not a necessary component to keep that one little touch of whatever, you know? Yeah. Because it's still really class is such ultimately the bigger issue. And you know, your gender. Yeah, very much so. It's It could talk a whole about a whole lot of subjugation but they right there's in the book and in the movie there is the finite time so it's kind of pick a lane where you don't cover anything right and with the show yeah they that's one of the things that they also do so well with the flashbacks yeah and i and i and one thing i will say that the movie does that i don't like they have it so that kate is meeting moira in the red the first time they meet is in the red center unlike the book and unlike the series they've never met before this That's and right. I like the fact of the book and I like the fact that they did it in the series that here is this character and someone she knows from that time before and that she can see in this hor- this space of horror and they're experiencing experiencing it together because she's been torn away from her husband and her child this is like her best friend so it helps her keep a certain sanity when they're going through that initial whatever brainwashing yeah because while the women all came from the same time if they're all strangers there's even it's even less weird right yeah yeah so i mean you'd have to figure well somebody's got to at least know someone else from the time before you you know it's not like everybody was just randomly plucked from separate locations hundreds of miles or whatever apart (laughs) (laughs) you know send put one person on a truck and send it west no it's (laughs) obvious you can see they were captured in the same place where they were sent to the, they were at the same detention center or whatever yeah so i mean that's one thing like i said that i don't like about the movie that i mean i i don't think it really if you just see the movie i don't think it's or even i don't even if you've read the book and then you see the movie i don't think it's necessarily that something's going to take away from the plot or, or maybe you enjoying the movie however i think it makes more sense and i like the fact of it adds to the the kate and moira relationship it would have added more if you had had that fact in there yeah it, it makes moira more of a flat character right i mean you you understand that oh why they are they're friendly in the red center is that they're both on the same wavelength of thinking that this indoctrination is ridiculous but by not having them have a previous history it's also like how did they, i mean why do they care so much about each other to some extent mm-hmm. not to say that you can't bond quickly or not that to say that you can't bond on a you know strong level with someone quickly but it it's less likely going to happen and i think it's gonna it makes these characters it, it just would make the character a little bit more characters a little bit more three-dimensional yeah and th- that was uh, also a thing about the movie that uh i started reading the book long longer ago but mm-hmm. you know they they do this in the movie they take away that aspect of their relationship but then also in the movie i think is the only place where June slash Kate 
Kate helps. Oh, wait, no, no, no. They do that in the show, right? What? They escape together in the show. They right? escape together in the show. Yeah, but uh, but then in from the book, I don't think that she helped Moira escape. Didn't Moira just escape by herself? Uh, I thought she helped a little bit. Not as, extens- as extensively. As in the movie where they take away, like, why would you go that far for a stranger? We're like stranger? Aunt, Aunt Lydia would totally also be able to identify Kate in that situation and Kate was not leaving too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like she wasn't trying to escape at the same time. No, in the book it's Kate, uh, June does help to some degree. Like she's a lookout or something, but it's not as overt as I'm going to stand here while you tie her up or whatever. But I will say... <laughs> one thing I love and it's partly Elizabeth McGovern just the entire way that she is like the way she delivers some lines in this like when she's first talking about talking to Kate about okay here's my escape plan I'm gonna fake being sick at this and I'm gonna whatever, I'm gonna fuck the cock I'm just gonna suck the fucking cocks of these guys the EMTs like whatever she words it and she's just like and they're you know it's like really she's like I don't care they just miss me really <laughs> they'll do anything I say <laughs> <laughs> she just like gets herself into such a frenzy like I don't care fuck this lace <laughs> but I'm like you're too funny and then when that, so that was her first escape attempt and it turned what is it she said oh one of the guys turned out to be gay so her plan didn't work yeah and she went back to the red center but this second time whenever she escapes and they tie up she ties up Aunt Lydia steals her clothes the way she's like let me have your pretty pearls and da 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 and then before she leaves she's like I like your panties. <laughs> just the way she <laughs> says it is hysterical. And she just looks at her like totally like just like goading her like. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, the, you know, the most conservative looking white underwear a woman could ever wear. Something Aunt Lydia would wear. Yeah. Well, it's part of their uniform, I'm sure, too. Yeah. Um, and the universal line that's in book, movie, show is what did you laugh at his dick? Yeah. What did you do? Laugh at his dick? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's I mean, that's why you have like. I, you through all of this oh, yeah Moira's my hero totally <laughs> because she has she keeps up this sense of humor throughout that's how the June or Kate characters has a little thing of where she has her beauty little ritual of okay I'm gonna steal the pats of butter and I'm gonna use that you know whatever, and then ask for the lotion but like with Moira like part of it what helps her, her keep her humanity is just cracking jokes that's her way of dealing with things yeah um, that's that would be there are some people that need to make jokes and craziest situations. Oh, that's true. So I wanted to point out the difference in the ceremony that we see in the movie compared to the series. Okay. Because it had been a while since I'd seen the movie. And I, yeah, I'd seen it multiple times, but the last time I probably saw it was a good... Well, I owned it on VHS, and so it was probably around 2000, maybe. <laughs> a little after and was the last time I saw this movie and then of course I saw the series more recently well you read the book and then what you read in the book and then I was watching this and the ceremony in here it was so much more jarring to me than it was in the series I felt the same way but I felt uncomfortable making that judgment as a man well and I'll tell you what I figured figured out why because I thought is it just me or what 
right. And then what I did, and I had wanted to try to go back and rewatch some of the series after I watched the movie this week and then watched the movie again. But I went back and I rewatched the movie today and I rewatched part of the first episode of the series because I wanted to at least see until that point of that first ceremony and kind of the differences. In the series, Offred or June says it's her second placement. In the movie, she says it's her first placement. Okay. So this is the first time. So here she is being, this is her first placement. And here we see her first experience of the ceremony. This first experience, this first time she is ceremonially great. And she is crying. She is making noises, trying not to scream. Serena tells her to shut up. Like she's making too much noise. And it's so quiet else otherwise that you hear like the wood creaking. No score. There is no score. You hear the creaking of the bed as it's being moved with the thrust of the commander. But you hear no noise from him. He is looking blankly. And even Serena, she looks pretty blank, but she looks on the verge of anger. Yeah. But she's like, shut up. She specifically says, shut up. And meanwhile, Alfred June is, I mean, or Kate, excuse me, is she's she's breaking down. And as soon as the in the movie, as soon as the ceremony is over, it, it the commander zips up, walks out of the room quickly. And then quickly, Serena pushes, uh, she partly pushes Kate away, but Kate is also partly running to get out of the room. Into her room, she starts stripping everything off. She's like pushing water all over her face. She just feels vile and disgusted. Like you can just tell it every fiber of her being tears streaming down her face okay but and you see and you see uh serena there like she's just angry get out of here Right, get out of here. She's just angry. In the series, though, like I said, it's her second placement, so she's done this before. It doesn't make it any better, but she knows what's expected of her, and I think she knows how to handle it better, maybe? Because each tour of duty or whatever the hell they call it, because they get three, right? Three two-year tries before they get sent to the wasteland, the the colonies. Right. But here's the thing with the series. They have, and what you realize is it's not actually playing in the, you know, room of whatever you, but you hear kind of in the background of this scene and like kind of, it's almost like at times like you're hearing it underwater. You hear hallelujah chorus and like religious music. You hear heart beating and breathing. And, and and so you hear that. But like I said, you hear it like kind of numbed, like it's almost underwater sound. And then when it, the ceremony is finished, it's then that you realize it's completely silent. Okay? So you have that one factor. But everyone has a blank look on their face. The commander, June. Serena, everyone has a blank, blank look on their face. And then when it's done, the commander doesn't super quickly zip himself up and walk out. He kind of takes his time. Mm-hmm. And then, then Serena 
pulls back to and is like pushing back to the side and then grabbing a cigarette and June is reluctantly like laying there with her legs together which she's supposed to because it increases chance of conception so she's laying there and Serena is getting upset and tells her to leave and June stammers and gets out and says but it increase you know something about it increases the chance of conception if I stay here for a few minutes and then Serena says I don't care. Get out of here. And tells her to get out of there. We then see the door close and Serena just breaks down in tears. We feel immediately bad for Serena throughout the whole thing. We don't feel, I mean, you may feel bad. For, I'm not saying you don't feel bad <laughs> for for Offred in that situ, in that setting, but it's we're immediately set up to feel sympathy for Serena there. And then you see a, a little bit later that night where June is finally laying in bed and she's lights all out and she's staring at the ceiling she's thinking and she's not crying but she's upset yes so she of course she's upset from this that's i mean what is this yes we've already discussed that it's a ceremonial rape so of course she's going to be upset but it is a much later reaction and then she has a moment where she feels she has to run outside and get air yeah but still you don't really see her crying and, and like breaking down in tears and this whole I feel filthy and I like wanting to just scrub and wash yourself that you see in the movie like it re- really it, it's so and I that's why I think that's one way I will say I, I and I and but then I saw that in the movie the other day and then I was like well wait a minute okay what I couldn't then I couldn't remember in the book was this supposed to be her first or second placement I think this was supposed to be her first placement that's what I thought yeah that's the that's what I thought so it seems like I mean the you can have any kind of response to sexual assault you know I'm not saying there's one right or wrong way to act. However, the reaction you see in the movie, I guess, logically makes more sense for someone who is experiencing this for the first time. Yeah. But you actively see also the fact of Serena, like she is very much a facilitator in this whole thing. Like she's not idle. Like you see, a, it, it comes across as she's more evil. It really does. In the in the in the movie. In the, in the movie. In the movie. Yeah, because in the show, I almost said I'll let you know when I feel bad for her. But yeah. there's the the show definitely on purpose or unintentionally tries to soften or not tries because I just said whether it's on purpose or accident. It, it seems to soften the Serena character a little bit, and I. I, yeah, I don't know. And I'm not saying that, yeah, I mean, it's still that when you see this ceremony, that initial ceremony with that family that Offred has in the series, it's not to say that it's not upsetting, but it's very, very different. Just even, like I said, just the, the score choice of having complete silence and just the creaking of the bed and movement like that. And then he, so you can hear her, her crying and trying not to scream. That's so powerful. And you totally miss that in the series yeah it gets a a bit glossy in the series yeah and it's not to say that you do see more instances of the ceremony occurring in the series than you do in the movie yeah what is it two or three times in the movie i think you only see two times okay but you see it occur more often in the series which makes sense it's supposed to be over a longer period of time but so you see it under different conditions so that yeah it's not it's you know you do and this is a spoiler if you haven't seen some episodes, but there is one episode in particular where it gets really bad. Oh, yeah. Um, I was just thinking about that one. The like, I don't even know how to say it. Like the punishment rape. 
or something. Like. Oh God. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's where this is right. Right. That's something that we, yeah, that we don't see in the movie. I mean, the, the, the series definitely goes into some darker places, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> some darker places, but I think partly it's, you have the time to expand in, in just a series. I mean, you've had what, 26 episodes? 26 one-hour episodes, so yeah. 26 hours compared to something that's less than two hours. Yeah, there's, there's a lot more leeway. Yeah, you can do a lot more. And, and I mean, there's stuff that, I mean, the series expands more than the book, but I'm glad, and that's why I'm glad Atwood is involved. I mean, that's, but as far as the movie goes, I mean, we're, I know we're talking, we need to get back to talking more about the movie. What were some things you want say some things about the movie. <laughs> I know I kind of pointed out a few things, but yeah, uh, uh, some of the things that there wasn't really a whole lot I didn't like about the movie or thought needed criticized. Uh, we did talk a little bit about a couple things, but I like that it it follows follows the book really well. It cuts out some parts here and there, but I don't know what. I guess we'll probably save this for the end. But I really liked the change they made for the end of the movie. Yeah. It's okay. So I, one thing I did notice that I don't think I noticed the last time, but maybe it's one of those weird circular comparisons. One of the things I really like about the show is the cinematography and the very deliberate shots and the formations like you talked about and the, the use of color and angle and all that stuff. Right. They, that's in the movie. There's parts that, you could totally see influence the show. Mm-hmm. You know, the far up crane shots or the the ritualistic murder of the man where it's just a swarm of, of women and the, the salvaging. Right. And I don't know, the, the, the also it's got the bit more of a, a the love story angle on Nick and Kate that, I don't know, was was interesting or definitely nods to the show a bit more than I feel like it did to the book. Yeah, and I mean, and and the thing is, is that you, obviously there's more in the series, but even still, at least with the movie, you didn't feel like they were completely like, oh, okay, we're lifelong loves either. Yeah. It, you it, felt like they were just like, okay, we're, we're like friends. We're like fuck buddies at this point. Like, <laughs> Silver lining. Like, dude, I mean, like, oh, okay, this was orchestrated, and hey, we kind of like each other, you know. You're not yeah. a bad person. Like, it could be worse. It could be worse. <laughs> right? But the rest of my day is worse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's much more that dynamic than, oh, it's just a transaction, but you also don't get the feeling that, oh, my God, they're necessarily, like, long-term relationship. Right. They're trying to build in the series more. Yeah, where... You know, no shaming or whatever, but I keep, every once in a while I'm like, what about her husband? Doesn't she care about him anymore? Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, who knows what people will do? Maybe they've got an arrangement or whatever, but sometimes I forget that she still talks about getting back to him. Yeah. And right. you know, who knows? Maybe they're going to turn it into him just being an anchor to the normal world. I, I don't know, but it's it felt less realistic to me. Well, and that's and that's another thing that's different in the series and from the movie is that mm. Luke Luke in the movie distinctly dies. Yeah, he's gone. He gets you shot see. In the back. 
You see yeah, it happen. Yeah, you see it. But in the series, he we know he hasn't. You know, there are these different things. And in the book, I feel like it's vague. Yeah, she doesn't you know. know. It's, like, it's like she doesn't know. He could still be out there. And so, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Sort of go down the middle of the road and see. Yeah. Yeah, you don't know what's going on. And I liked, this was only the second time I've seen the movie. And oh, really? I, I liked it a lot more this time. I, I feel yeah. like, and maybe it was just, you know, when I the first time I saw it was with that one class in college. I can't remember if it was, I took this one sci-fi class where the professor did a whole big focus on women writers and every once in a while we had a film or if it was another film class I took that had us read books <laughs> so if, but uh, I, re- I remember just the first you know the first time I watched the movie was right after I read the book just like this time yeah the, f- the first time I rewatched it for the show was pretty much the day after I finished reading the book uh-huh and yeah I was a lot more disappointed the first time around I was like, right. man, that just kind of fell flat to me. And yeah, this time I, I appreciated a lot more about the movie. No, I understand. And for me, I mean, I enjoyed the movie the first uh, time I saw it. I mean, I saw it before I read the book, so a little different. You know, so I enjoyed it, but I did. Um, it, the book does. I mean, the book has these these monologues essentially where it's all from we all we have june telling it from her point of view but this was the movie though you don't have that you don't have these voiceovers and that's one thing i do like about the series yes the tv series is that it has these voiceovers and it's it's great I mean, it really is. It, it, I think it adds a lot more because there is so much about how this character of June moves through society where she has to be silent to those around her. I mean, that's she has to just be as silent as possible. And so, you know, but to give it to have her be the heroine that we cheer for, we need to hear some of this, you know, from what's going on in her head. Yeah. And we're more and, connected that way. We're And we're right. That right, detachment. Definitely. The detachment from the because it's it's like she's talking to us and especially when you do the audiobook you know it's mm-hmm. just her mm-hmm. telling you the story right and yeah with without that she's more detached and by what transference i yeah it's more like i'm watching something rather than witnessing it right and i and it's why i could see why this i could see how this would work as a one woman stage show mm. the fact that so much of it is monologues you know i think that you could definitely adapt it with that yeah so yeah cool. what about you what what uh, what didn't we talk about the movie i know i'm trying to think i don't know um, they don't, I don't know if they, they don't feel like they do tons with the resistance or with Mayday in here, but they do some. Yeah, there's that car attack or whatever. Yeah, and I, I feel like they, they should have done more with that, considering that basically, you know, they end up essentially getting her to, uh, you know, kill the commander or try to kill the commander and then they kidnap her essentially. So, yeah. And that's the, the just go with it. It's made a thing. Yeah. And I, I feel like there should have just been a little bit, I don't know, a little bit more with that. But 
Yeah, because uh, I wasn't even totally sure if they were sending her away to the colonies. Right. When, when Serena was, you know, because in all of them, she finds that she went, you're just like the others. And then right. in the movie, yeah, she goes up and she she, she was reluctant. She she was going to tell Av Warren that she couldn't do it when she found out that Av Warren was replaced, which they go more into in the in the book and the TV show. Right. But then she goes to the commander and he's basically like, oh, well, I saved my ass. Fuck you. <laughs> and it changes her mind. Yeah. But he, they're really vague. She just says, help me. And he says, "I." she gave me a lot of grief. I can't do anything. Right. It's like, are she, she, she sending her away? Is she sending her back to the Red Center because she gets two more tries? What the fuck's going to happen? But whatever mm-hmm. it was, it just makes her unfold that knife and... Yeah, there goes Robert Duvall. Right. Well, a spoiler see, alert for they're coming. They're coming for me. <laughs> spoiler alert for a 28 year old movie. Right. Exactly. But um, yeah, I enjoy this. I think comparing it to the book, I come. I, I enjoy the series more. Okay. Uh, just because I like how they kept some things. I guess that were they're just more accurate in the series than the movie. Just little changes, and that I'm like that doesn't make sense. But I do like. Yeah, I just there's a lot of the writing that's really good on the series, and the way that they've expanded the universe and the, I mean I'm glad that again Mar- Atwood being so involved I I think that's made a big difference well and that. a lot more women being involved in the creative and aspect thank you thank you I was just going to say that because almost every episode of that series has been directed by a woman and you have like a lot of the producers and different things are are, are female and uh, writers and just in, in all the different tech aspects. And I just, and I love that. And, you know, not to say Volker Schlondorf didn't do a good job here, but, um, and Harold Pinter, but I think oh, God, hearing a woman's voice makes a massive difference when you're dealing with material like this and I, creating I, this I, kind of universe. Yeah, I would, I would imagine so. Definitely something I appreciate. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, for the movie, I mean, I like Natasha Richardson. as I do like her as an actress. So I don't, I think she's perfectly fine here. So it's not like I like Elizabeth Moss necessarily more than Natasha Richardson. I mean, because I like, I do like Elizabeth Moss too, but I, I they each have something different I think they bring to this role. Yeah. So I can't say I necessarily like one better than the other even there. I know I, I clearly was like saying that for certain other roles, but for that for that main role um, of Alfred, they just each have something different, and I and that's partly the script I think, and the and the, kind of the just the general feel of how things play out with what they're working with. You know, I'm yeah. babbling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I would recommend the book, the movie, the show if I had to not experience one of them ever again if i had to pick it would probably be the movie yeah um because i also went back and rewatched older episodes of the show and they were just as good and uh, as they were before yeah yeah so i i'm definitely interested to see where they go with the show and i right. another thing i think that needs to be said about the movie is that it came out in 1990 yeah 
they didn't talk about this stuff. You know, the, the, like 1990 was when people were still learning that sexual harassment existed and other dumb shit that men don't think about, you know? Well, and that is one thing that is delved into more in the series, I feel, of when you see these indoctrination sessions at the Red Center, some of the different ways they end up talking about gender politics and how we've evolved in our conversation about that and also sexual identity and I, I think we have a larger conversation on those kind of things they haven't really you know necessarily talked about you know, gender identity specifically but I wouldn't be surprised if that ends up coming up in a conversation yeah on something in the future it's obviously something that would be punishable in the this world but they just haven't it's not something they've pointed out yeah they haven't hit that point yet, but they right. might since there's gonna be a lot more they're still carrying on the in in the show one of the other things that they get to do that they don't really have the time for in the book and in the movie is they show people outside of that outside of gilead right so there could be survivor stories coming up right and they i mean they show more of like the torture too yeah uh, of these people so you see it goes a lot more i think the series has some more horror moments to tell you the truth yeah there's like things that get into that territory there are definitely screenshots i feel like showing whenever i hear somebody say like well i don't watch that that's not horror i'm like really no. Like here. Yeah. Here's the swimming pool scene or Oh god, yeah. Here's that gymnasium with the things hanging in the from the rafters and the uh, you know, uh Yeah. Ridley Scott smoke in the light beams stuff or yeah, what they do to the women that they capture or that they're punishing for shit. Yeah. It's exactly. Fucking brutal. I I I happily well not happily i have heard a couple uh horror podcasters mm -hmm. start bringing up the show and yeah. start talking about it in right. places where they you know where you only talk about horror um, right. which luckily for me and you we get to bounce around a bit right no matter how much we enjoy the genre just because yeah. you're hearing about it here uh, it's got so many horror aspects mm -hmm. yeah definitely and now I'm rambling. That's okay. Wouldn't be the first time around here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm thanking you in advance for the editing job you did on this. Uh, we're giving you a what, lot to work with. Think, what makes you think I'm editing that out? <laughs> oh, I'm just talking about how long we've been talking. Oh, okay. Yes, we have been talking a while. And um, yeah, so D I was going to just say, uh, Darren, is there anything else you want to say about the movie? No. Yeah. You? We, we both would recommend it. But like I, I think it seems like we would both recommend the book and the series before we would recommend the movie yes yeah no i'm i'm in agreement on there head so uh, just because it's a world that you want to know so much about and uh, you can just ex there's just so much to expand on and that's why the, the the tv series genre works for it yeah and, and if you've read the book you've basically seen the movie but if yeah. you've read the book you haven't seen the show if that you know yes that's a good yes there's nothing happens nothing that really happens in the movie that isn't in the book yeah yeah that's a good way to put it that's a good way to put it okay so i guess um we will take one quick final break and then we will close out the show
you're traveling through another dimension. A dimension of not only a film and sound, but mind. A journey into an auditory movie review adventure that must be experienced to be believed. There's a signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Doomsday Clock. You can extract the Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock podcast by either searching for WYCH on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and on your Android device. Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock is a proud member of Legion Podcasts. So prepare yourself. The podcast ice is gonna break! And we are back to just a, a little couple things before we close out the show. So I was editing the referral slip. And it's actually referral slip. I, I know I put this in different, like I posted it, um, I guess, I think the Facebook group or something maybe. But I was editing it, the uh, referral slip that just came out in September was actually recorded in July. But because of some technical stuff, wasn't able to be released till September. So I am just telling you this now. <laughs> Darren. Okay. And I, I should have said this on that episode when we were answering that first half of, I think it started when we were answering that first half of questions from Robert. Mm -hmm. But you brought up something about an author that you just don't get or something. Something, and you talked about Virginia Woolf at length. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. I, I, I recall that part. So, so the one thing I was going to add and say, because I know I, I told you that the hours is, yes, it is. I'm sorry. You're going to have to see that at some point because your wife's going to make you. But the interesting movie that you should see based on Virginia Woolf's work and that I recommend is Orlando. Have you seen that with Tilda Swinton? I don't think so, but I like her. Oh, Tilda Swinton being so fucking hot and gender bending. Oh my God. Yeah, it's, uh, I think Derek Jarman directed it. So it's like art house type movie. Hmm. And it's kind of, it's, it's this kind of love story that takes place between these characters crossing, like spanning times. And over times, the gender start switching. So Orlando has been alive or whatever around all these different forms, but sometimes is male sometimes is female and so then sometimes it is with a man sometimes it's with a woman so you have like this whole going back on like the gender bending thing but then like same sex same sex attraction yeah it's a really it's so it's a really inter interesting uh aspect of fluidity uh, going on in those ways and oh, god it's a really it's it's a really good adaptation of it i've read the book and tilda swinton man mm. Yeah, I love her. <laughs> cool. I, I, I wrote that down. So I was just, you know, if you have to do a, a Virginia Woolf movie, yeah, do Orlando. Right yeah. on. That's my that's my favor for you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Again, that'll get me because, out of watching the hours anyway. No, it probably won't. It probably won't. But at least watch the hours first and then maybe watch Orlando after and think, oh, God, this is such a better movie. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not that the hours is awful but it's schmaltzy yeah it's yeah anyway okay so i just wanted to mention that quickly and i also wanted to say yes our book giveaway is still underway i know we confuse people with 
saying what we wanted people to do. So, um, yes, please, oh for that noir novel that I have, it's a hardback, a signed hardback, send us on Twitter. Just tweet out to us your favorite uh, noir novel or movie, and the book is yours. It's a novel entitled Noir, so there you go. Uh, that's the last thing I think I wanted to say. All right. But All I know right. we confuse people because we were like, what? Do we want email? Do we want Twitter? Uh, what do we want? Things? Yeah. In order to just be get a hold of us. Like, we, okay, let's simplify. Right, right. So I swear the cops aren't coming for me. I swear. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's Sunday night. Things are getting getting going. Um, yeah. But have we said this episode what we're doing it's next? Proudly month? brought to you by the letter C. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I don't know why it was the letter C, but. <laughs> uh... I don't know. Um, anyway. Aunt Lydia's crazy. <laughs> Christianity. Yeah. T for theocracy. Thank, there you go. It's, so anyway. So yes, tell Darren, tell us what is coming up on next month. All right. Next month, we are, we do have guests. Yes. They are, still, they are still down. Yes. Not, they that, are still not that we don't enjoy speaking to each other. Yeah. But we are going to have Andrew and Maddie from Friday the 13th, a, uh, a legionnaire, a fellow. Fellow Legion podcast. Yeah, fellow Perfect. Legion podcast. Wonderful, wonderful guys. We've chatted yes. before and we've been yes. looking forward to this. We are doing the Shirley Jackson book the haunting is that that's the title the haunting of hill house the haunting of hill house and the 1963 movie (laughs) the haunting yes the one that came out in the later was called the haunting of hill house wasn't it no no it was also called the haunting okay i never watched it (laughs) i've seen the first one you're not missing anything okay trust me that is an abomination it's oh oh, it's a waste (laughs) of good talent we will well, you might bring up stuff, but I am still going to not oh. watch it. Oh, I before. will have plenty to say. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The the original movie, we are very, er, spoiler alert, as we've been saying about obvious things. We're fans of the movie. Yes. And I Shirley Jackson. So excited. You can't even imagine how excited I am. <laughs> I really wanted to do this last year for October, and David said, what about, you know, something wicked this way comes? And I'm like, that's cool. I mean, okay, sure. (laughs) But I'm still going to do the haunting of Hill House and the haunting at some point. Okay, sure. Well, so here it is. Yes. Coming up next month. Hells yeah. In October. Yes, yes, yes. So there we go. And um, uh, do you have anything, any other show, special guest projects or anything on Psychosomaticast you want to uh, promote before we go? Let's see. Around the time that this is out, the I guested over on 1983 and 1989 on the podcast Under the Stairs. Duncan mm-hmm. is doing another massive summer-long retrospective of the 80s. And I believe around the time that this episode is supposed to be coming out, the massive 20-movie roundtable discussion should be out or should be coming soon. Okay. You know... <laughs> <laughs> most are you know yeah there's a lot of people there's three guests counting duncan for every year and then oh, most God. of us 
most of us are getting together for the big group talk. There's only maybe two or three people that said that they can't make it. And I think they're recording a separate thing to be added on there. You know how, mm-hmm. you know how Duncan is. Yeah, of it's, course. Um, <laughs> it's a maniac. I'm, I'm so far behind on listening to that show because he puts out so much content. Yeah. You, you, I, I really, I hate to say it, I'm behind. <laughs> Your co-host, Jamie, over, well, Bo Ransdell is also on two years, uh, but yes. Jamie from Devour the Podcast, she and I were both on 1983. Yes, and, you were? Yes. And let's see, what else? Coming up, this is, yeah, the, over at Psychosemantic, we're basically, our, you and me, will have <laughs> done the death of Stalin quite recently, and it's coming into primary season, so I haven't really nailed down a lot of guests yet, but look for stuff like, if not including, all the president's men, or uh, is, we're probably going to get a little bit more political unless my brain just fries and I'm like, okay, it's October, let's do political horror again, like last yeah, year. right. And yeah, uh, all those things except for the podcast under the st- Psycho Semantic can be found like the VD Clinic on legionpodcasts.com. Podcast Under the Stairs is standalone right now. Yes, it is. But yeah, that's as far as I know. Oh, well, coming up soon, I should be making an appearance. I don't think it will have happened yet on a show called The Horror Returns. Ah. And that is all that I know about right now. How about you? Uh, You've got a really busy time over on Devour coming up. So by the, around the time, by the time or around the time this episode drops, the latest episode of Devour will be out with our feature, The Nun. I do not remember what our listener pick is because I'm flaking at the moment, but um, The Nun will be our, is our feature and we will be gearing up for our crazy, crazy October special that has me reading tons and tons of books for that. Yeah. Wow. And so that, and I also recorded and it's already out as of the time of recording, but it will of course still be out (laughs) by the time this is released. I recorded with the Lady M at on uh, Legion After Dark. So that's, I get to talk um, a little bit of fun, sexy, kinky stuff over there. Talked about the Duke of Burgundy and pegging (laughs) S&M. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I, I've, I've started Stuff listening to that really, episode, but I haven't I got to the page. I don't talk about here yet. necessarily. But <laughs> what was that? What was that, Darren? I'm sorry. I started listening to that episode recently, but I haven't got to the pegging yet. <laughs> I think Robert Ward had a comment about that. <laughs> How he never thought he'd hear me talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So anyway, that that's uh, yeah, that's out there. And let me see what else. Um, I'm just trying to think when things come out. But just as a preview in October, and I'm not sure exactly when it's going to be released in October. So maybe early or mid, whatever October. But I'm sure before our next, uh, before our full October episode, I uh, did. 
did a I'm doing a guest thought over at Scream Queen. Oh, nice. For, as um for part of a uh, October, Patrick over there is doing. It's partly a fundraiser for New Alternatives. It's a, an an organization for LGBTQ homeless youth, and so it's in conjunction with that. But we're doing the witch. So yeah. Nice. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So we, he and I had had a discussion. And oh, 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 something I did want to bring up to you that I was reading in some, in whatever one thing about this, but I'm like, I don't know how accurate it is. But apparently the ceremony that's in Handmaid's Tale was like inspired by an actual ceremony that occurred like in Puritan type days. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know about that, but... <laughs> That's a scary thought that it was taken from inspiration from real life. So Yeah, like Atwood said. Yeah. Those crazy fucked up religious people and their theocracies. Look how well it worked out for the Puritans. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> on so, that note. On that note, that's what got going on outside of here. So yeah, so I guess that's it for now. And as always, you can find us on the Legion Podcast Network. We um we're on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. Our what our email address is vdclinicpod at gmail.com. And um, our social media handles are yeah, the VD Clinic Pod. Yeah, you have to you have to have the pod on there at the end at least. <laughs> yeah, it's easier to find us that way. You yeah. still get useful information, but, but not us. Not us. Not us, exactly. Yeah, and you'll have to tune into the episode that of Scream Queens I did with Patrick, where he tells the story of where the VD Clinic, us, started following him on Twitter and what his reaction was to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of funny. Nice. So, yes. So, anyway. Okay. And um, I guess I will say goodbye. So, uh, Darren, you want to say goodbye? Yeah. Good, goodbye, everybody. See you next month. Okay. Goodbye. Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. But I think... Oh, bondage up yours! What?